You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the cool and exciting things going on in the Star Wars universe, particularly at this moment, The Mandalorian Season 2, which we're going to be talking all about today. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? The overall Star Wars fan in me is doing fantastic with these last two episodes, but the Imperial fanboy in me could be doing a little better, I'll be honest, (laughs) but we'll get into that. (laughs) How could you be so sad about that? You got to see your boys in action. But anyway, but yes, I I, I get it, Tim. I get it. I get it. Yeah, action is debatable. <laughs> well, well, in either way, uh, yes, I'm very excited to talk about these two episodes uh, I have to say, if you haven't checked out our latest uh, comic book episode that Tim and I did recently, please check that out because it was a lot of fun. And it was, definitely was, yeah. It, it, it's literally a conversation just like me and Tim would normally have just hitting record. It really literally is that. And it was because I, I was reading Star Wars comics and I said, hey, I should see what Tim's read this. And I went, hey, we should do our comic book episode, you know, whatever. And he was like, yeah, we'll just do that. And we just kind of ended up talking for two and a half hours about comic star wars comics which is great so we covered the newest arc of the star wars main series and darth vader series and and i gotta tell you it was i read those two issues after we uh, got done tim and with the, i know you already know this but people whoo yeah like the right <laughs> the rise of skywalker connections are really freaking cool and and kyle i gotta say i think i think this darth vader series again is a is a must read. I was talking to Tim about that after you guys recorded. Um, just you listen I, to it? Uh, what? You listen to the show? I have not listened to it yet because I figured you butthole. Well, look, I don't <laughs> want you guys to. If I am going to read it, I don't want you guys to spoil it for me. I know. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, no. Like I was helping Tim put together just like the artwork for the episode and stuff, and you know, we had that cool image of like the like where it's like half Vader and half Anakin. Um, and I was like, dang, that image looks pretty cool. I should read whatever comic that that artwork is from. And so he was telling me about the new Vader series and I've heard other stuff about it. And, you know, it's one of those on my list. So um, yeah. I'll definitely have it's, to check that out at some point. I, and, and really quickly, and as someone who we talked about on the show, but I'm going to tell you guys all now that as someone who is saying, who said that Charles Soule's Vader run was an all timer, probably the best Star Wars comics ever made that. And I said it in the podcast and we'll say it here. Uh, Greg Pak's Darth Vader series may not be on the same 
quite on that same level, but man, it's not exactly too far off necessarily either. It's really good. I, the Vader comics, I'm going to just do a giant binge of all of Vader comics at some point in Marvel. because it's, Yeah, that'd be really fun to do. Yeah. That'd be fun to do. So anyway, yeah, if you haven't checked out the new Vader series, I highly recommend doing it, especially with the last two issues. with Because it's, I, I can't believe how cool it is. Like, I, yep. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's great. So check it out. I can't wait to review. Maybe we'll do, like, the first 12 issues, uh, Kyle, uh, with you on it, with on a regular episode or something like that. And you can kind of give your thoughts because there is lots of cool stuff on it yeah well i'm not sure when i'm gonna get to it i have to look and see like which one which of those are available um i usually just wait to pick up the trades but trades um, are on tuesday that's when the first one drops oh okay oh so this there, there hasn't even been one out yet not yet but like i said oh, okay. it's literally yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll put that on my christmas list or something Attaboy. um yeah definitely something i'm looking forward to checking out um, now just a couple of quick news items to get to before we just dive into the Mandalorian. Cause obviously on our last episode, well, our, our last episode before you guys talk comics, we talked about, uh, the first two episodes of season two, the Marshall and the passenger today, we're going to talk about the heiress and the siege. And we've got a lot to break down from those two episodes. Uh, but just real quick before we get into that, wanted to mention, um, First of all, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special is available to watch now on Disney+. Plus. Um, I watched it, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago whenever it first came out. It's fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I've heard, you know, kind of some mixed things about it on Twitter. It's definitely, like, more kid-friendly. Um, and I would even say, like, I know they've done some ongoing Lego animated series, like the, the Yoda Chronicles and the Freemaker Adventures and stuff like that. And I haven't checked those out, but I remember... Back around like 2010, 2012, maybe they had a couple of just like standalone animated Lego Star Wars specials um, that I think aired on TV and then they came out on Blu-ray and stuff. But I remember some of those being more like laugh out loud funny uh, than this was, but it definitely has some fun moments and it's got, you know, some holiday charm to it. Um so, I mean, especially like if you've got young kids, but, you know, if you're looking for something that's just kind of like light, fun, family friendly holiday Star Wars, uh, go give that a watch. Um, secondly, uh, there actually is going to be a new uh, content update coming for Star Wars Squadrons, which was kind of some unexpected news. Um, they kind of reiterated like when the after the game came out, they said they weren't planning on doing any DLC. And when they announced this, they said that, you know, when we released the game, like we meant that like we weren't planning to to continue working on it aside from just doing like bug fixes and stuff. But uh, they said that just based off of the success of the game and the reaction from the community and just listening to people's feedback and stuff that people really wanted to see in the game, they decided to give us a little extra content update for the holidays. And so I think this is dropping in two parts. Um, there's an update that's coming out in November. I think just this upcoming week, um, I think it's like November 25th. Um, there'll be uh, an update with a new map, which is uh Fostar Haven, which is like the first area from the campaign. Um, so you'll be able to play that in multiplayer. And I think they're adding like some new ship components and stuff. And then they're adding another new update in December, which is going to add B-Wings and TIE Defenders. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be really cool. Those will be a lot of fun to so play cool. as. So cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and again, honest, I mean, we even, should have been there from the get go. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that here on the show, like that that would be something really cool to add if they ever did do DLC. But it seemed like it was kind of a long shot. But here we are. So uh, glad to see that the game's been doing well enough that they're able to go in and well, add those. 
And I have to say too, I, I, I'm not shocked because I knew when, when I, when you guys told me that about there aren't, there's not gonna be any DLC, I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Cause if this, if this was a big, if, I, I knew if the game was going to be hitting big, they would do something. It's a, that's just a foregone conclusion. And I, and the fact they're doing this, I, w- I was like not even remotely surprised because it's a fun game. God, if I wasn't so busy having, you know, raising a kid or an infant or a baby now, whatever she is, she's six, six months old. So I'm not, I can't keep track of what she is. Exactly. <laughs> still uh, a baby. But yeah, still a baby. But if I wasn't, you know, raising a baby right now, I'd be playing way more than I, than I have. I'll probably end up playing the night for a while. But I play, I play like once a week. It's all I can do, and that's that. That's not, that's not, that's not a lot compared to my Battlefront two days, as you guys all <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I'm not surprised because the game is a lot of fun. And, and again, this is from someone who is not a big Spider Squadron fan from that whole Battlefront two and Battlefront series. And I, I, I think there's more to come. I, for as far as more ships being added, I think there's going to be. Way more. I think they've they've tapped into something that is just a a a new thing for them. And and honestly, like if I'll be honest, if they do a battlefront that's separate from this, and they they separate them, but they really give fighter squadron or um or or yeah squadrons a more emphasis, like a little bit more money, a little bit more things to kind of give it a little more pizzazz. That I I don't see the problem in separating the two. I, in fact, I kind of like it, Be, and I know I, it kind of goes against what you're saying, Kyle, because I know you, you love to have kind of both. And I do think you could have a, a component of a, on Battlefront Two that has some fighter squadron in it. But I also like the idea of just separating them so they can I can get more out of each one of them because they're kind of to me they're very separate things. And I love I love squadrons. I, I do love the game. I think it's been great. And I I haven't even played the campaign. I just love going online and just playing against people and getting destroyed. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I mean that too. It's because the gameplay is, I feel like I'm in a freaking X-Wing. I mean, granted the VR does help me a lot, but either, but even if I didn't have VR, I really do enjoy the game and, and the gameplay. It's a lot. It really does feel like I'm in a you know, fire squadron for star Wars. And I, I think it's an, it's, I love the fact that it's getting this much, you know, this much attention to enough to where they're going to, you know, keep giving us new things. And I'll be honest, I want a freaking snow speeder. T- give me the T-16. <laughs> give me you the T-16. What I, what I could see happening in the Wait, future. Wait, isn't the where... T-16 the Skyhopper? Wait, you're right. Wait, well, no, no, isn't it called T-47? Sorry, T-47. Oh, yeah, there you go. You're right. You're, you're okay. My bad, my bad. Sorry. Go ahead, Tim. No, I was just going to say, what I could kind of see happening in the future for this game and maybe potentially franchise, well... They probably will stick to their plan. We're not having too much DLC for this first one. Maybe the B-Wing and the TIE Defender will be it. But seeing how successful this first game was, maybe then they'll plan for a full-blown sequel and kind of like a full-fledged game where it will have that higher price tag with it maybe, but yet have a lot more content where maybe this one, like Battlefront 2, would span all eras in the new Squadrons game where you're playing with prequel ships and sequel ships. And just have more meat in a full-blown Star Wars Squadron sequel game that gives you more options that maybe potential future DLCs would have. But you just put it all in a brand new game and maybe it will have in-atmosphere battles like on Hoth where you can be in the snow speeder. And just more options than what is currently on oh, the first Squadron. Just go full-blown with it. Just make it a complete game in the future. Oh, yeah, that'd be dude, pretty cool. Dude. 
Now, 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 I was going to argue because I love arguing. Uh, Tim, <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, me, no, never. No, I was gonna, I was gonna argue that one of the things I like about, about this game is it wasn't breaking the bank for it. It's a, it, I liked, I think yeah, it was nice. That, yeah, yeah, that's true. I do, I do think that that did help the game. I think it helped more people get into it. Now, all that being said, you kind of blew my mind, and I'll throw down my money if soon if it, we're getting like. All you know, all eras slash also um, not ground, but you know, in atmosphere uh, battles like you know, a la the N sixty four X wing you know series or whatever that squadron game Rogue is. Squadron. Rogue, Rogue Squadron. See, I don't. Yeah, not a big game. Yeah, but honestly, if we had those, that'd be great. I I really do think like that price tag helped kind of lower people's expectations coming into it too, and it makes me think this is what they should have done for the first Battlefront game. Like, absolutely especially yep. especially with how much they charged for the dlc packs because obviously like the dlc did help make that feel like a more complete game like a year after it came out but i think they should have either charged 40 bucks for it up front and then still charged for dlc or charged 60 bucks for it right out the gate but had all the dlc be free um and obviously they did that with battlefront too but then you had the loot boxes and all that stuff but um, yeah, and it's nice. I mean, the the content that they're coming out with for Squadrons is going to be free as well. So um, that's the other thing, you know, with that, like, it would be one thing if they had said, no, there's not going to be any DLC and then been like, surprise, here's a DLC pack that we want to charge you for. Then everybody would have been like, hey, that's messed up. But the fact that they're just providing this um, for free, just as sort of a, a gesture of goodwill to all the players that have been enthusiastic and enjoying the game so far is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely a nice surprise to get. But like I said, when we were just being excited about the potential of squadrons and the ships you can fly, B-Wings was high on the list. And that was a little bit of a bummer when we found out it wasn't in the initial launch of the game. So the fact that we're now getting it is definitely a welcome addition that I can't wait to try out. And the TIE Defender definitely wasn't expecting that, but to throw that in there too is going to be really cool. Yeah, and the thing that's going to be cool too is I think they're not adding these like they're not adding a new ship class because obviously you know they have like the four ship classes in the game like the fighter the bomber the interceptor and the support class ships um and i think they said that the um i forget which is which i think the y wing or the the b wing is going to be classified as a bomber and the tie defender is going to be classified as a fighter but they're going to have some unique abilities to differentiate them from like the Y-Wing and the TIE Fighter. Like the B-Wing is, I think they did mention, is going to have like the rotating cockpit. Um, that's going to be cool. <laughs> that, that, that's going to be hard in first person, but. Um, yeah, that, that should probably be cool to see when you're using VR, Paul. So <laughs> you got to let us know yeah. how that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be a, a fun mechanic. Oh. And then the TIE Defender, they said, is going to have shields unlike the other TIE Fighters because that's, you know, part of the lore around that ship. So. Um, that'll be really cool to see. I'm sure we'll give a little review on that and what it's like to play as those ships, uh, when that comes out in December. Um, and then, uh, just last little news tidbit, uh, heading back into the Mandalorian is that not only did we get a new episode this week, but, uh, we also finally got a soundtrack released for the first half of season two. Um, and I think, and I, I kind of suspected that this might be the case because with season one, they released like a little mini soundtrack episode or uh, a soundtrack album for each episode that was like eight or nine tracks long. Um, and so I figured the fact that they weren't doing that for season two, that maybe they were going to be releasing like just a longer compilation album at some point. I was hoping we wouldn't have to wait till the end of the season. And luckily we didn't. This is kind of like season two, part one. 
Um, and it's just the music from the first four episodes. And I have noticed like in some of these episodes, I noticed like certain tracks being reused from season one. And I don't know if that was just like, because Ludwig Goranson did so much music for season one that he could reuse some of those tracks for season two, or if it was because of like scheduling with COVID, like I know it was hard to get like the whole orchestra to get together and record a bunch of stuff. So maybe that's why there isn't as much uh, original music for season two. Um, but still this album is out now. I think it's like 13 tracks long. Um, and even if it's not like as much music as we got from the first four episodes of season one, all the best stuff is definitely on there. I'm, you know, more than happy with, uh, the stuff that we did get on this. Um, and it's, you know, it's cool to just be able to listen to that and relive all those best musical moments so far from season two. I mean, even, even though he's been reusing some stuff from season one, like the, uh, just all the original music that we've heard so far from season two has still been just on that same uh, ridiculously high level of quality. So um, I've already listened well, to this album a few times and it's uh, just great to finally have it. It's funny you say that because I actually think that he's recycled a lot where, I mean, obviously they didn't put everything on here, but like they're not going to put every single bare note or, or whatever on this, because you know, a lot of it's very atmospheric that we have. And these episodes are, haven't been super long either. So I kind of feel that there's been so much that he's recycled that, like, and again, not in a bad way, not in a bad way, that it makes sense that this is all they've put out because they're probably, because honestly, because think about this, the music was probably one of the last things they probably added to. Uh, the series, and they probably had no choice but to recycle because, due to the COVID uh, pandemic. So um, I think that there's, you know, that that makes a lot more sense. But but either way, we'll, we'll get into the music and stuff later because I, I I had there's a couple things I wanted to talk about with that. But oh yeah I, yeah, yeah. we'll t- we'll talk about that more within the context of the couple episodes that we're talking about today for sure. Yeah yeah. So okay so uh, I yeah I, that's what I think. Go ahead, Tim. If you had anything to add. Not too much of that, just that, yeah, cool that we finally got the release of some season two music content on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music from. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I definitely got to because I was going to echo what you guys said, some great new music in these last few episodes. So uh, definitely going to be checking that out very soon. But at the same time, too, I did notice how you guys were talking about about reusing some of the certain music cues or themes from season one and some of those are just great themes that you're glad to hear again in these episodes Um, in particular moff gideon's theme is fantastic (laughs) so certain things that or stuff that maybe is reusing is not necessarily a bad thing when they are as good as they are (laughs) so yeah and i've noticed it more with just scenes where like it's just mando and the child in the cockpit of the razor crest at the beginning of an episode and I recognize like, oh, this is, you know, the same track that they used back in like episode two of season one or whatever. But it's like not like a pivotal moment that needs a heavy hitting soundtrack. You know, it's just kind of, again, just kind of like atmospheric music that, you know, we heard before in season one, but it still works for where he's using it here. And then those big moments that, you know, really are deserving of some original stuff. He's been knocking it out of the park. So, um but yeah, that's out there now. Definitely check that out if you're a fan of just listening to uh, to Star Wars soundtracks. Um, but with that, let's just dive right into... Oh, I guess the one other thing we can address that we're not really going to talk about on this episode, we'll kind of save it for later. 
um, we were talking about this before we recorded and kind of debating, should we talk about this on here or should we save it for its own thing? Because there's also been uh, some more information that came out recently about uh, George Lucas's original uh, ideas for the sequel trilogy. Um, and so I think we're going to save that for a different episode and dive into that a lot more. Um, and that might either be just its own episode that we just do about that or just save it for the next time that we're talking about news or some other stuff and you know, I, I think we've got plenty on our plate to discuss with the Mandalorian right now. So we'll kind of save that for later, but did want to bring that up just in case anybody was wondering if we were going to mention that. Um, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive right into these two episodes. Um, of course, if you haven't seen them yet, this is your spoiler warning now. Uh, get out, watch the episodes, come back. Um, but uh, yeah, let's start with chapter 11, The Heiress. We're not going to go through these like in sequential plot order uh like we started doing um last episode with the marshal but um kind of just hit the highlights the big talking points the big reveals and characters and all that kind of stuff and i think obviously the big thing to talk about with chapter 11 was the return of bogatan her reveal in live action and just those freaking amazing action scenes with live action mandalorians just you know Cutting down stormtroopers left and right. Sorry for your loss, Tim, but not really. Um, this one wasn't too bad to take. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess at least so in cool. in this first episode, the stormtroopers weren't taking each other out. But um, man, it was just so cool seeing Bo-Katan in live action. I watched this with uh, I watched it with my sister who was hanging out with me for the weekend, and we are both huge Clone Wars fans, and so we were just losing our minds watching this episode together when she showed up for the first time. And it's funny because based on some of the rumors that we had heard for this season. And then just seeing like the description for this episode where it said like, uh, you know, the Mandalorian takes to the high seas and meets unexpected allies. And I was and we knew like from the previous episode that he was going to go find more Mandalorians. And so I was wondering, like, if this was going to be the episode that Bo-Katan showed up. And then funny enough, Katie Sackhoff tweeted on Thursday. She said, like, is it Friday yet? And that got a bunch of people all up in a tizzy thinking like, oh, she's going to be in the Mandalorian tomorrow. Um, but I was still in the mindset of thinking, I thought this whole episode was going to be like his voyage at sea. Because um, yeah. we had mm -hmm. seen the the one shot in the trailers of him like in the water with like, you know, and he's like gasping for breath and grabbing at those bars above him. So I'm thinking this whole episode is going to be like this dangerous ocean adventure. It's going to be, you know, last episode we had like the kind of like the side quest with the spiders and it was almost like a monster horror movie type vibe. The first episode was like a Western slash big monster hunt with the crate dragon. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be another like new genre type episode. And it's going to be almost like a Poseidon adventure type thing. You know, they're on a boat, maybe the boat sinks and yeah. Mando's got to get to safety and all that. Um, misled you may have. Been. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> I really just mis misled myself. I did, but, um, you know, so, and, and I was thinking that then at the end of the episode, he's going to safely get to his destination and we're going to get the reveal of live action Bogatan at the very end of the episode. So my jaw hit the floor when she shows up 10 minutes into the episode, just kicking all kinds of butt, you know, shooting up the Quarrens, and then they go on this mission to raid the Imperial cargo ship. And I had no idea we were getting any of this. Um, but man, just seeing, I mean, <sighs> It was like she stepped right out of Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, Katie Sackhoff. And I think this is her best work as the character of Bo-Katan. Um, 
I mean, I already think she kind of stepped up her game from like the early seasons of like if you listen to her voice acting in the early season, not really the early seasons, but when she first shows up in Clone Wars, like in seasons four and five, I thought she was like pretty good. And then when she comes back in the Siege of Mandalore, I was like, oh, okay. I think I like her performance more in these episodes. Like I think she definitely kicked it up a notch. Um, And then seeing her in live action, it was just it was flawless, Um, you know. Just the voice, the physical performance, the action, the look of the character and the armor design and everything, just, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, this was amazing to see. It really was. And it wasn't so much a surprise that we were getting Bo-Katan, because we heard the reports or reports that she was going to show up this season. We just didn't know when and which episode and all that. And I did, I wouldn't even say get spoiled, but I guess it was, I did find out she was in this episode on Twitter because I just, it wasn't even the tweet you were talking about, Kyle, where she said it was Friday yet. It was that Friday and she just sent a tweet saying, hello, that was it. Even that I knew, okay, it's in this episode, (laughs) but man, what an experience it was seeing her show up in live action and just how amazing her armor looked in live action. Like you said, Kyle, it looked flawless straight out of animation into live action without a hint of anything showing any discrepancies or inconsistencies. It was just perfect. And I rarely say things out loud when I'm watching something, but I actually said, wow, (laughs) when she showed up, it was just incredible. Just the way, like I said, the way her armor looked was amazing. The action that was on display between her and the other two Mandalorians on that ship was just really cool, just making their presence felt right away. And then hearing her voice come out of that helmet that we're so familiar with, with her episodes in Clone Wars and in Rebels, it was just a surreal experience seeing an animated character that we've seen in numerous episodes in live action for the first time, just have it feel so seamless. Because this isn't the first time we've had a character who debuted in Clone Wars showed up in live action, Saw Gerrera, is the first one to do that, but it was the time period is so far apart between the Onderon arc and Rogue One that the characters were going to feel a little bit different, but still a cool connection nonetheless. But this one, having the time period not be that long and just having it be the same actress who played, who did the voice in the Clone Wars and Rebels portray her in live action, it was just pitch perfect. And just right away, that, not, not opening scene, but that moment, that was still in the first part of the episode just blew me away. It was amazing. Yeah, there's this whole episode. We all knew Katie Sackhoff was going to be there, right? But here's the advantage. uh, If you're me, guys, and you avoid social media from Thursday to when you eventually watch it, it, I had no idea, but I did have an idea because I'd have random people text me go, Hey, uh, have you watched this episode yet? What are you watching the episode? I'm like, hey, something goes down, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, but, but see, and not only did I not know anything about the episode, I just knew that the, it was, I heard like some, there was some water stuff, whatever. It was that water episode. I didn't know the name of the title of the episode because I have my, uh, my wife. Uh, fire it up right before, and I don't want to even see the title. Well, they don't even, don't show, they go- don't even show you the title. Well, no, no, but not on the when you when you go to like play the episode, it's there. No, it's not. Not for season no, two. No, it's not. Oh, it's not. Nope. Okay, good. No, so okay. now you oh, can right. you can fire it up yourself. Oh, no, I'll make her do it. No, I was kidding. Um, 
No, but I try. I, I, and honestly, just even see like a little like snapshot video or a picture. I don't even want to see that. I'm trying to like stay. I'm trying to stay pure here. Uh, you know, but but anyway, I had no idea walking into this what to expect. I kind of thought, well, maybe it's Sabine and, and Ahsoka show up or something. And then when uh, when they're on this ship, when they're on the, the boat, and which, by the way, the, that was incredible. That whole scene is just, it's such a, it's, it's intense, man. Like, when I knew something was up, I'm like, okay, something's up. Like, this guy's being too, like, friendly. And when he, and when he kicked the child into that thing, I was like, whoa, holy. I'm like, whoa. I, I, it just felt, it was kind of dark. Not going to lie. It was kind of dark. Uh, I was like, man, they're go- they're going for it. I'm well, like, yeah, because of course you know they're not going to kill off the child, but still, when I mean, first of all, when he just whacks it with a spear real quick, yes! for a second, I'm like, whoa, like, did he just, like, you know, just almost like subconsciously in the back of my mind, I'm like, did he just kill the child? And I'm like, oh no, of course he hit its little crib thing, and then it flies into the water, and then it gets swallowed up by the monster, and for a second I'm like, did he just eat the child? And I'm like, no, 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 of course he's going to be okay, but like, but but so but you, feel, like, you feel like he's in danger, covered the shield on his pod. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> me neither. I was just in panic. I'm like, I can't believe they just did that. I think that, to me, was what, I think that what it was, uh, Kyle, was the fact that they they did it. Like, we knew he was going to survive, but the fact they did it, I'm like, holy moly. Like, that's a, that's dark. Like, that guy, like, it felt like, I got to tell you, it felt very, it felt very Star Wars it, because it felt, it, it, it didn't hold back. And, I, and that's one thing I, ha- I really want to uh, talk about on this, uh, the, for this series here right now, is that Disney is not holding back Favreau and Filoni and telling uh, stories and they're, and they're taking chances. And when everything leads together, you know, after that, because so when, when they, when they hit baby Yoda into the thing and then they put the Mandalorian in there, he jumps in to sa- naturally save him. And then he's trapped. I'm like, I, I, I'm really thinking like, how's he going to get out of this? I mean, obviously he's going to get out of it, but like how? And then when Bo-Katan shows up with the Mandalorians and went, Oh crap! No way! I was having a freaking blast. Mm-hmm. And, and even I, even knowing that he's that they're on the way to go meet other Mandalorians, I still I'm watching this going, man. How is he going to get out of this? I wasn't expecting, you know, I, it's not like I was like, oh, this is where Bo-Katan's yeah. going to show up. I still had Same. no idea what was going to happen until she jetpacks down on there, and I was just losing my mind. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened to me. And I was like, no way. I was having a blast eating my pizza just because my pizza night. And I'm like, I wasn't, dude, I got to tell you, it it has been so great getting these episodes. And especially during the pandemic, I got to tell you, it's just, it's great. And seeing it on screen, and and Tim knows kind of my fascination with, with costumes, right? So if you don't know... I'm big into costumes, meaning I love superhero costumes. I love masks. I'm, I'm all about those. I'm all about designs. And with with superhero stuff, I'm very. I don't care what still you give me. I got to see things move. That is the true sign of a good costume on screen. And adapting, you know, things from comic book or animation it's all the same you have to see you have you know you can't do a literal translation all the time 
but you have to keep it very true to to whatever you're adapting. You can't deviate a lot from it because people aren't going to like it. It's just it's just a reality, and you not only do you have to keep it very you know very uh, precise to what you're 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 adapting, you have to make it move and look re- look legit too. And that is a very those two things are so difficult. And I got to tell you. And maybe it's just because Mandalorian armor and all that stuff isn't that hard to like, you know, take from screen because it, it went from screen to animation back to screen or whatever. But it was literally the costume was so phenomenal that jumping out, it, it literally jumped from animation back on a screen. It was it was I couldn't believe how good that helmet looked. Yeah. I mean, it was I, you couldn't have done it any better. No, but it's one of those things where it's like I always really thought Bo-Katan's helmet was really cool in Clone Wars. But yeah. seeing it live action just made me think, Man, this is one of my favorite Star Wars helmets <laughs> ever yeah. now. It just looks yeah. that good. It's well, and great. the other thing, I mean, Paul, you talk about how the Mandalorian armor obviously originated with Boba Fett, and we saw it on the big screen first, but obviously yeah. Bogatan's got the unique, like, the Night Owl-style helmet that the female Mandalorians have, and that all started mm-hmm. with Clone Wars. And so it yeah. wasn't necessarily yeah. a guaranteed, like, slam dunk that that was going to look good in live action. Um, and I guess we had... I think there might be some some Mandalorians that have that style helmet like in season one. I mean, obviously the armor kind of has that similar style visor, but her yeah. helmet is kind of doing its own thing. But um, with some of the other Mandalorians in that covert that are just kind of in the background, I think some of them might have that helmet design, but it hasn't really been like prominently featured. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, just obviously like Bo-Katan's got cool looking armor. I expected that it was going to look good, but again, just seeing the finished product in live action, um, and like you said, in motion and in action, um, especially, gosh, just seeing her during these fight scenes. But I would also say, like, it also is, especially when you're just getting the details and stuff, like if you're moving fast and fighting and stuff, it's kind of easy for that to look good in motion, but it also has to hold up when you get a good look at it up close and just the helmet, the armor, but then also like just Katie Sackhoff and her face and hair and everything. And she's done a couple interviews um, since the episode aired where she talked about, uh, you know, just time that she spent with like the hair and makeup crew really just trying to nail the look of the character. And she even went back to like, uh, looked at episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels and really was trying to, you know, get the look just right and doing like the eyebrows and Bogotan's got like a scar on her forehead and Rebels and Katie wanted to make sure that they still kept that. So, um, yeah, just the whole thing just translated really well and, Again, that, you know, shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but it was just like, like I expected it to be good, but then actually seeing it was just better than I could have hoped for. You know, there's a saying, and I'm sure you've all heard it. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil is in the details? Oh, yeah. That couldn't be more appropriate for Star Wars. And the devil's in the details with this series in particular, and... We went on about it with the, you know, with the marshal about and how the fact that they're incorporating, um, you know, the canon and things like that and all these, you know, trying to incorporate as much as they can into this. And again, I, I, which reminds me, remind me to circle back about that canon thing again. Um, but about with Katie Sackhoff particularly, the fact that she's doing this, I mean, obviously you have Filoni who is, you know, he's going to be making sure the details are there too, but 
they're all there. Like she, it was important to her because she knew, like, hey, there's a big sect of people that love this character or love the Clone Wars, and by proxy will love her because she's a part of that series, you know. And with that, she wants to make sure like it's as accurate as possible. And and I'll never forget when she took off her helmet. I'm like, there's Bo Katan. I mean, like, yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, like there was. It was not just a just looks like her and oh my god, it's it's now. It felt very, very real. I heard someone criticize her wig or whatever. I'm like, she looks great. I watched it today again. I'm like, she looks great. Like, there's, I have no problems with this at all. And, and look, honestly, this might sound like a cheap cop out, but I mean, it fits. If you have an issue with the wig, you could just say it's helmet hair. Like, God. <laughs> well, it's funny because universe in, explanation <laughs> in the first scene where she takes it off. And and she's talking to Mando at first, like it does look a little, um, I don't know if disheveled is the right word, but it's like it looks a certain way in like a wider shot and then it cuts to a close up of her and you can definitely tell like they touched up the hair a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was perfectly fine. Well, and I, I just have to say that with those details that we're getting with Bo-Katan is that we're you, you you trust the fact that when she comes back, it make it just makes you invest even more so into the character, into the show, and know that with future things that are coming down the line that we'll get to in a minute, we should we should be rest assured that we're, those details will be there when the, when other things show up later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think that to me is what we're getting we're almost getting peppered with these things mm-hmm. right right now and that is the that's the, the reassuring thing that these details that we that we hold so sacred to us like the canon and the looks and all these things that they have not let us down at all. Like I mean I know it's subjective to say that but I would say what 85, 90% of people would say, no, the man wearing has not let us down at all. So it's just, it's just so gratifying to get something like this. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about Bo-Katan as far as like the looks and all that stuff. No. Yeah. I just want to echo what you were saying right there too, of how, even though obviously we love the show and when we heard about these characters potentially showing up in this season, I really didn't have a worry of how well they were going to be portrayed. But yet when you actually see it and it's as good as we were expecting, it just gets you more excited for what's potentially to come later on with some more characters. So I think kind of having Bo-Katan be the first character of some of these main surprises that we're going to get in season two was the perfect showcase of that, of how well they did with Bo-Katan and bringing the character from animation into live action just bodes well for the other character and character potentially that um, or looks like they're going to be showing up later on the season. And it's just great to know that and it's obviously with Dave Filoni there, we know they're going to get the care and respect that they deserve. And we saw that firsthand with Bo-Katan and it was just great to see. And again, this makes it more exciting for what's potentially to come. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other things I want to talk about with with this episode, uh, especially just kind of like the first half and the setup and everything before we get to the other big reveal at the end. I thought, first of all, Bryce Dallas Howard directed this episode and just did a phenomenal job, knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah. I thought it was cool that the opening scene where the Razor Crest is kind of like free falling into the atmosphere of Trask, she did like as a uh, homage to Apollo 11 that her dad, Ron Howard, directed. Um 
and that's there's some shots in there that are like taken right out of that movie um and then like as the razor crest gets to that landing platform and the engine gives out and it crashes into the water and the mon calamari's just standing there shaking his head like that was a, <laughs> a fun little setup um i i was kind of just digging like the vibe of that planet too with all the mon cal and the quarren um, yeah for a second, I was—I forgot that they said they were on Trask. I was like, "Wait, are we on Mon Calamari right now?" But no, it was like obviously very similar, same species, and you know, an aquatic world and everything. But for the story, they needed this to be like a backwater, like outer rim, uh, black market trading post. Um, but yeah, just really cool uh, locations and visuals, and uh, just cool seeing some of those familiar aliens and stuff again. Um, like you said, Paul, just even the scene that boat set out to sail and just the design of the boat and everything was really cool. Um, and then of course all the Mandalorians show up and then, um, so after Bo-Katan finishes, you know, kicking everybody's butt and they rescue Mando and rescue the child and everything, then they take their helmets off and he's like, you know, goes from, oh, thinking I've been saved by fellow Mandalorians to going, whoa, 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 like, where'd you get this armor? You're not, you're clearly not Mandalorian because you're taking the helmet off and not following the creed. Um, and Bogatan kind of schools him and is like, yo, I'm Bogatan Kreez. I was born on Mandalore. This armor's been in my family for three generations. I fought in the purge. Um, and they realize that Din Jaren is part of this uh, religious cult of zealots called, uh, the, she says he's a child of the watch. Um, and they're kind of bent on like restoring the old ways and the ancient traditions of Mandalore. And that's why they don't take the helmets off. Now this raises a lot of questions because obviously like children of the watch sounds a lot like death watch and like they could be affiliated. And obviously Bo-Katan was once part of death watch herself. And we know that, um, like when we see the flashbacks of, uh, Din getting rescued as a kid back in season one, we know those were like death watch, uh, Mandalorians that rescued him. Um, or at least they have the same icon. Maybe it could be the children of the watch. And we don't know if that is, if that's the same thing as death watch, if that was like an offshoot of death watch, or if they're just kind of a similar group and they kind of have the same ideals, but they're just a little bit more like staunch traditionalists as opposed to like violent extremists like death watch were. Um, so definitely still kind of some unanswered questions there. Um, but it was interesting to at least have them finally address the whole helmet issue because we always wondered like, well, Bo-Katan and everybody in like Clone Wars and Rebels took their helmets off. Uh, and so, you know, how come they're all Mandalorians and they can do that? But, you know, Din Djarin can't. So um, now we finally at least have some insight into that whole issue when we know that there's like different sects of, of Mandalorian culture. So. I'm definitely excited to see uh, them explore that more going forward. And I think we'll see even in the next episode that we'll talk about that that's already kind of starting to maybe get into his head a little bit and that we'll maybe uh, see him kind of expand his his horizons a bit or maybe uh, realize that the way he's been following isn't the only way. Um, but I thought it was, you know, it was cool to just see them finally kind of tackle that issue and shed some light on it. Yeah, I found that whole bit of dialogue there very interesting because I was expecting her to mention Death's Watch, but when she only says the watch, that really got me thinking, okay, are there different groups like that amongst the Mandalorians? But yet maybe they all have the name Watch, but a different, I guess, subtitle before it. Like there was a Death Watch and there's other groups with a different name as the Watch. So I don't know, it just raises some different questions. And 
because at first I really thought she was talking about Death's Watch because she mentioned about how they were a group who wanted to restore the old ways of Mandalore, and that's what Death's Watch wanted to do during the Clone Wars. But when she mentioned how they were kind of this cult of zealots and who do in this way of thinking is not removing their helmets, we know that is not the Death's Watch she was a part of. So I just found it very interesting. And the fact that she didn't even mention that she was a part of Death's Watch, just how she was part of Clan Kree's and she fought in the siege, not really mentioning anything that we've seen in Clone Wars at all. So part of me was maybe wondering, is she trying to hide that? part of her past but yeah she was involved with that group that Din Jaren was or are this they completely different from Death Watch so I, it was definitely interesting but as you said kind of good to finally get that distinction to why <clears throat> Din Jaren doesn't remove his helmet and all the Mandalorians he was with in season one wouldn't do it and how other Mandalorians view those groups and why they don't so it was good to get that but also raises some new questions just about the Mandalorians and their culture in general and just how there are different factions to the Mandalorians than what we're used to so far. I just find that fascinating. It's really cool to see. There is so much stuff to unpack. I think in when they talk, yeah, it's, really. it's, it's, it's just, first of all, we talked about um, the fact that Bryce Dallas Howard knocked it out of the park. And I, I want to emphasize that because she did like, she executed everything. Now, I say executed because I, we got to give props to someone we have not given enough props to. We got to talk about this specifically. John Favreau has written the first four episodes of this series. And holy crap, like it is so good. And I just, he does not get enough credit. Like I don't, I don't see people praise the writing. They're just kind of like, oh, you know, and again, like you know, director did a good job here, and you know, and obviously he directed the first episode and everything, but he's written every episode, and they're so damn good, like they're so damn good. And I want to emphasize on the writing because I think, first of all, this is my own speculation. I think that, and especially with Dave Filoni, and I talked about this with with the with the, uh, the Marshall episode that George Lucas had a different idea, obviously, of Mandalorians when he did Clone Wars. And that was something that him and Dave Filoni definitely debated and argued about. Again, going back to the special features of the Blu-ray of season two and how that Dave and him, you know, they argued a lot about it. And then they obviously, quote unquote, made Django and Boba not Mandalorians. Well, I'm here to tell you now that with it's interesting because when when Dave Filoni or when John Favreau wrote he, again he pitched the idea of the Mandalorian, I'm wondering if that was always his idea of like he never takes his helmet off. That's what the Mandalorians do, right? And then he probably edu- had to get educated that no, they can. And they went hmm. And I I wonder, and I, I would love to get down to like like a, a commentary or something that that they can kind of talk about these details a little bit further because. I'm fascinated if this was something that Favreau came up with or if this is something that Dave Filoni and John Favreau came up together because, because I think that – now I said this back in, the, back in the Marshall – that the retcon of Boba Fett, Django not being Mandalorian is coming. It's coming fu- with a fury. I'm telling you. 
And I'm telling you right now, John Favreau is laying that out for us verbatim well right now in this episode again here well i don't know about that because here's the thing we know from clone wars and this is in canon comes from george that jango fett is not a mandalorian yeah it's it's coming they, out bro. they've it's, never it's, said it's, it's anything coming. about boba fett bro so, it, jango's coming jango's coming too I, th- hear me out this is why this is why I, th- I mean obviously i don't know for sure but this is why i presuming that i am right because i think that with what they've established now, first of all, Din Djarin is not a born Mandalorian, right? So he is in this weird sect of Mandalorians. And she even says, yeah, this is a, this, the religious zealot uh, sect of Mandalorians that he grew up with. And he's, in, he's going to then learn and kind of understand, like, I can keep, take my helmet off, a.k.a. Pedro Pascal wants some screen time. I get it. So... <laughs> And, and no, and, and no, this all plays a part. This all plays uh, yeah, a part. Yeah, no, and th- that was something I thought of too. I mean, obviously, I don't know how much truth there is to this. Like, obviously, there were some people that were, you know, throwing around these crazy rumors that he had, like, quit in the middle of season two because he was mad that he wasn't getting right. screen time. It's like, that's obviously not true because, A, he's still around. He's tweeting about the show. Like, by all indications, he's still very much involved with it. B, like they pitched him the idea of the show of like him being this Mandalorian that never takes his helmet off. So you can't get halfway into season two and go, I don't like this because I never get to take my helmet off. Like that's what you signed up for. But if there is any truth to that and that, you know, maybe he did want some more screen time or something, then maybe that could have been another factor in why they right. started to introduce this element. But at the same time, this was something that was going to have to be addressed anyways, because like you said, we've mm-hmm. still like, regardless of whether Pedro Pascal wants to show his face or not, we already have other Mandalorians in Canon who take their helmets on and off all the time. So, well, so I, I'm going to say this about those rumors and I, I don't want to talk about rumors of, you know, whatever, but I'll, I'll say this. I believe very, very, very truthfully that, when there's smoke, there's fire. Now, how big the fire is remains to be seen. Yeah. I don't know. But I think there's probably some truth to it. We just don't know the validity of it. So that's all I'm going to leave it at that. So, but that all being said, to me, they are setting up the rules of Mandalorians are going to be different all over the place because the Mandalorian already is something different than George ever came up with. This is not, so this is why I think it's becoming retconned. Because I think, because the, the way she says to, to, Din, um, to Din Djarin in this episode, I watched it again today, and I, I, I was telling you guys earlier, I couldn't play Squadrons for once a week because I'm so busy. Well, same thing with Mandalorian. It's, I've only watched these episodes twice, unfortunately. They're, these are phenomenal episodes, but whatever. I watched this again today, and I thought this the first time. I'm even more convinced the second time because when she first says this is the way to him. It's to mock him. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, now, the way I see it, if she says this is the way and she's mocking him, what is uh, uh, Almic? Why wouldn't? Why does he not? Why does he reject Jango Ban? Uh, Jango Fett and the uh, man, man, that Mandalorian armor because they reject those people. So if he rejects those Jango Fett and his, you know, they don't consider them real Mandalorians. Then, that then Din Djarin totally nullifies everything that those people believe on Mandalore, and that's why I believe 
that the retcon is coming because it's not really a retcon or I think it's a retcon, but you could say it's not because the Mandalorian's introducing this whole new section of people or whatever, but that's coming because he probably would assume these children on the watch, these religious zealots or whatever, like Din Djarin wasn't a true Mandalorian because he wasn't born on Mandalore. He was an orphan and he was, he was adopted into the way by outside means. And maybe Almec would say that's not a Mandalorian or whatever. I mean, this is what I'm saying. The retcon of Django and Boba is coming. And because of that reason, I bet you money Django Fett will have been raised on some kind of Mandalorian thing. That's why he has that armor. And that's why he probably is going to be retconned. And that Almec is like, blah, 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 blah. Like, they don't even want to acknowledge that. So that's why I think it's coming. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Honestly, just my personal take at this point, like now that we've got, I mean, obviously Din Jaren's a Mandalorian and I'm really invested in his character, but now that we've got the introduction of Bogatan and other Mandalorians and it's not just this little underground, uh, you know, covert, but it's like we're getting back into like, you know, her conquest to try to retake Mandalore from the Empire and all that kind of stuff. At this point, I could care less if... Boba and Django or Mandalorians or not like they're bounty hunters off doing their own thing when it comes to like the culture of Mandalore and like the history of this planet and everything that we've seen in Clone Wars and Rebels leading up to this point they're not really connected to that anyway so like whether the people of Mandalore consider them Mandalorians or not I don't know like I well, well Kyle so here's the thing I and again I know I'm harping on this a lot but this is where I, why I love conversations and things like that because I think that the themes that this brings up, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, that are, are bigger than than what people make or are, are, are is a pretty big theme, in my opinion, of a fact of what makes you a part of something, right? What makes you is it is it what your your what you um, is being man, like again being Mandalorian? Is it that you're born on Mandalore, or is it an idea? And what is it exactly? And well, right. Me- and see, the, well, and to get back to Bogatan, like you said, the first time that she says to him, this is the way, it's obviously mocking. But then right. by the end of the episode, and, and I still want to get more into like some of the fight scenes and stuff from the second half of the episode. But at the very end, when she tell when they part ways and she tells him, you know, thank you for like, she says, thank you. Your bravery will not be forgotten after he basically right. sticks his neck out for them in battle. And then she says, this is the way, like with an emphasis, like not only is it not mocking, but like with an emphasis on this, like that your, your honorable actions are what make you a Mandalorian as opposed to like your adherence to some creed. Um, I think she's, I think she's being a good politician right there. Cause she wants to run, cause she knows she's going to need help to regain Mandalore possibly but i also i do think that's sort of a genuine moment of like you see them at odds earlier in the episode and now they've come to respect each other but um, see i think she's a morally great character and i'll shut my mouth here tim and let you talk i just what i'll say the last thing i'll say about this whole situation really quick is that the reason why i think that and i like Bo-Katan a lot i think she's a great character but i think she's a great character because she's morally great she's not exactly a a good guy she's not a bad guy and that's what makes her so interesting because she's not someone because she will mock him one minute with it and then bring it to him in a positive light the next 
that and again knowing her history, well but again i don't think that's her flip-flopping i think that's them coming to a better understanding of each other by the end of the episode i i don't think it's flip-flopping either but i think it's it's a better understanding yes but it's also her knowing that i'm going to need this later on it's not because she believes I don't. What I'm sorry, trying to say is, I don't think she believes it necessarily. Because when if she did, she wouldn't have said it in the first place, like all mockingly. And she would, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like I, I feel like there's a legitimate, like she doesn't agree with it, and it's obvious. And just because she says it like in a more positive light, I think it's because she respects him. Well, no, no, no. But again, th- this is. is this is what I'm saying though. It's not. She's not saying it to like go along with his creed. Like when she says okay, it the first right, time, right, she says right. it mockingly, like, this is the way, because it's like, that's what you children of the watch say all the time, isn't it? But when she says it at the end, she says, you know, thank you, your bravery will not be forgotten. And she says, this is the way. Like Mandalorians fighting together, being honorable, like having courage in battle, like this is what makes you Mandalorian, not the creed of your little sect. And so when she's saying it at the end, it's not like, oh, I yeah. accept your way. It's like, it's her, again, it's her kind of opening his mind a little bit to what sort of quote unquote, the way is aside from just what he's known this whole time. And, and this is where I think, I think will be really cool is, and I, I've kind of talked about this. I think the Mandalorian Din Djarin could be revolutionizing the ideas of Mandalorian, what it, what it means. And, there and then that and that's kind of where I go back to what does it mean because he's not a quote unquote true blood Mandalorian he was adopted into the into the creed or whatever so again there's lots of great themes here that again going back to what I think makes Star Wars so special is the themes that George played with were were in obviously it's a storytelling in general but George played with with heavy themes and very traditional themes and. And and but also tackling them in a very like big way, and that's what John Favreau I think is essentially doing or potentially doing here, and I think it's really exciting. I, I think it's really really cool, and I just got to say that I really appreciate that we're getting these really awesome like heavy themes, and that these are things we're going to be tackling throughout the whole series. So very very exciting. I was just thinking too how the fact that she knows the saying "this is the way." Is it reflecting that she was maybe part of that group? Because I get the impression that it's only those religious zealot groups of Mandalorians that use that phrase, this is the way. But she is familiar with it. That just goes back to my whole questioning about the Watch slash Death Watch, where are they kind of one and the same? Did Death Watch split off from that and kind of not hold everything that that zealot group held on to, like the helmets having to stay on? So it just makes me realize that she is familiar with that group, obviously, they know them is it just because they know about them or is it from personal experience that she had that she was part of a group like that and she knows what their actions knows what their beliefs and they're saying this is a way and that's why she did use it mockingly at first but then use it in the more positive sense in how in agreement with him as far as the actions he took to help them and kind of just showing that yeah that is a meaningful saying probably for all Mandalorians to use, but kind of as you were alluding to earlier about using it more for like in the honor sense and what Din Jaren did for those Mandalorians and helping them take the ship and all that. So just again, makes me think the history that Bo-Katan has post clone wars or even pre clone wars to what she has experienced as a Mandalorian and what she's been through, because obviously she's gone through so much just from what we've seen and we don't even know her whole history yet and just with death's watch and then her trying to liberate mandalore from the empire and we still haven't been 
even seen what took place during the purge, which she alluded to in this episode. So that is going to add a whole nother layer to her character. So just a lot of stuff to make you excited about not only what's to come for her, but hopefully to learn more about her past. And for me, I think it'd be really interesting to learn more about her pre-Clone Wars and just see how she was brought up as a Mandalorian and within Death Watch and if she was part of the Children of the Watch at some point. And it's just, again, I use that word fascinating because uh, it just brought up a lot of interesting things to her character that um, we didn't necessarily think about before. At least I didn't. And it just makes you think about the potential of what we can learn in future episodes, maybe of The Mandalorian, or who knows where else where we could see Bo-Katan, because the possibilities are endless now, just with her one appearance in this episode here. Yeah, definitely. I think both of these episodes that we're going to talk about today, like, not necessarily answered a lot of questions, but, like, shed light on a lot of stuff yeah. and, and gave us some more insight and some more information on things that we didn't know before, but then opened up some whole new cans of worms and, and gave us a whole bunch of new questions, too. Um, but just going back to Bo-Katan, so then, you know, they, they go back to the bar and talk and Mando tells them that he's trying to take the child to the Jedi. And she says that she can help him find, like help lead him to one of their kind. If, if he'll help them on their quest, um, to capture these weapons from this Imperial freighter that they're going to use to try to help take back Mandalore. Um, and man, the whole sequence of them raiding this ship was just some of the coolest, honestly, some of the coolest, just like blaster, you know, gunplay yeah. and shootout stuff in all of Star Wars. Um, before that, even just like the ship taking off and that shot of it, like flying through the atmosphere. And then you see like the four Mandalorians on their jetpacks coming in from above, like this episode already, I think, is probably my favorite of the show in terms of, like, the cinematography. There were just some gorgeous shots here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I mean, them boarding the ship, just taking out stormtroopers. Bo-Katan using what I didn't even kind of realize until this episode. It's kind of like her signature weapon, like that wrist blade on her arm, like, on that she's got that, you know, comes out of her uh, her gauntlet. yeah. Um, I mean, I just figured like, oh yeah, Mandalorians have all these weapons and gadgets and stuff. So it makes sense that she has, you know, a blade that comes out. But then I realized like, we've seen her use that a lot in Clone Wars. Um, and she's kind of the only one that uses it as far as I can remember. Um, but yeah, she's just going to town, you know, stabbing stormtroopers and everything. Um, and gosh, the one scene when they, uh, they throw like the smoke bomb into the hallway and then they've got like their night vision on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're just blasting <laughs> so the cool. stormtroopers as they're, they're, uh, marching through there. Um, I know we talked about uh, rebel assault two recently in the last few episodes. And it reminded me of that one level in that game where you're kind of underneath the sewers, the lights out and you had to use the night vision. Oh, in first I forgot person. about that. <laughs> I got the uh, flashbacks to it, that. It, it's, Obviously, it's a it's a predator reference. That's what it obviously is, because it's the yeah. way they're highlighted is totally from the predator. And Filoni's a big predator fan, hmm. so yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so I mean, just all that action of them them getting through the ship and everything was awesome. Then, of course, you know they get down to the cargo bay, and uh, the Imperials like seal them off in the hallway, and he's like, "Oh, sir, we've got them trapped in the cargo control area." Right as they get sucked out into the air, as they like open the cargo bay door, that was awesome. Um, 
But then, of course, we get another appearance from Moff Gideon, too, as uh, the Imperial captain, you know, calls him and says, hey, we need reinforcements. These Mandalorians are taking over the ship. And, you know, Moff Gideon's like, well, if they've captured too much, if they've captured that much of the ship already, then, you know, it's too late for reinforcements and you know what to do. And he just says, long live the Empire. And the guy immediately, like, shoots his pilots, takes over the, the ship himself and uh, just goes to crash the thing in the ocean. Um, and all of that was just you know, pretty intense and seeing like the lengths that these Imperials are willing to go to. Um, and, oh, and this was also, you know, when we talked about Bogatan, you know, mockingly telling him like, this is the way that's when she changes up the plan and says, they're going to capture the whole ship that they want to use um, for their attack on Mandalore and not just like trying to escape with stolen weapons or whatever. Um, and then of course we also find out that not only are they trying to take the weapons in the ship, but she is uh, looking to reclaim the dark saber uh and you know knows of course that she's gonna need that uh just sort of as a like that symbol of leadership if she's gonna retake mandalore um and so like they get to the bridge and she you know questions the captain and asks him like you know does moff gideon have the dark saber and he just says like if you if you have to ask you already know um and then takes like that electric cyanide pill and kills himself so she can't uh you know take him hostage or whatever she says she's gonna she's like i'll let you live but you have to take me to moff gideon and he's like you might let me live but he won't and he just kills himself um but so this is obviously setting up kind of an inevitable confrontation i mean we knew obviously that uh the mandalorian was going to end up facing off against moff gideon at some point but now we know that it's not just going to be about moff gideon coming after the child but it could be worked into this whole larger conflict of like bo katan and trying to take over mandalore and her fighting him for the Darksaber. Uh, so that's all going to be cool to see. And I can't wait to see, like, if we're going to see that again this season. Or if that's going to be maybe, like, a bigger story thread in, like, season three or something like that. But I'm sure we're going to see Bo-Katan again. And, uh, yeah, seeing her go up against Moff Gideon for the Darksaber and with the fate of Mandalore on the line. And even just the potential that we could see Mandalore in live action uh, is going to be really cool. So I can't wait to pick up on more of these story threads later. Um, we don't know if that's going to be sooner or later, because honestly, we're four episodes into the season now, and we've seen everything there is to see from the trailers. So we really have no idea where these last four episodes are going. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great yeah. thing. And I love <laughs> yeah, I know. I yeah, love that, no, too. No, I mean, no. I, I just love being surprised and not knowing where we're going. But we do know one place where we're going, and that is no, – uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, gotta, I have one last thing to add to the action, and I just want to say it's, 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 this is by no means an insult to the action, but this – because the action was great. Everything about this episode was phenomenal. Um, obviously, the water the water stuff was – you know, water thing was probably my favorite fight scene, even over the – and it's because the scope, you know, that that they, the, you know, the budgetary reasons are going on a ship for a reason, right? Like to kind of get condensed and get more of a set, a basic set approach. And I, and I want to say that that even despite that, kind of knowing that going into it, it still looked and was awesome. And I, I think that shows you how good the show is is that these characters and and the, and they're utilizing their budgets and everything ultimately and like very well and and it shows because we don't even care like it's obviously like this one thing but we love it and it's so good and it's perfect and i just it's just it's, it's so balanced and i just love that and so 
I just got to say that. And it's not, that's not an insult by any means. Cause I just rewatching it and rewatching it today, seeing the, the, the classic, just very basic designs of the Imperial ships and them going through this condensed, you know, little ship or whatever. It was great. And so I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say that like it's, they are using their budgets so well. And I just, it's phenomenal how great it looks despite like the fact that it's a TV show, which we're going to get into that even more so in this next episode. So, um, yeah, I just, I want to say that even despite the, 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 obviously we had to, you know, we had to condense it down for budgetary reasons, still phenomenal episode. Well, see, and I don't even know if I would agree that that was like purely a result of them having to condense it down for budgetary reasons because it made perfect because it makes perfect sense within the story this is like an imperial remnant hiding out in the outer rim so it's not like they're going to steal a whole star destroyer you know this is just a a freighter that they had you know docked in this this backwater port (laughs) no no pun intended backwater but um (laughs) but uh no i mean it was cool to see too because it was like the imperial gozanti freighter which um you know you you Paul, you would have seen that a lot recently if you had actually played the campaign in Squadrons. Um, but obviously, like, this ship has been in Rebels and stuff, too. It's like the transport ship that you usually see flying around with, like, four TIE fighters hanging down underneath it. No, I know that ship. Um, it's in Rebels. Yeah, yeah, No, no, no. It is in Rebels. I'm just saying that, like, when you're playing the Imperial missions in Squadrons, a lot of times it's it's pretty cool because, like, you're in first person in the TIE fighter cockpit strapped to the bottom of that cruiser. And you see it, like, come out of hyperspace and then you drop off of it and stuff. And it's pretty cool. But, All right. Um, That's cool. Just going yeah, back so real quick to uh, everything with Mandalore. I know I, I stepped out for a little bit, but I don't know if you guys touched on this already. Just how the mention of Mandalore in this episode, not only from Bo-Katan talking about Imperial officer and wanting to get the dark saber to reclaim it, but just Din Jaren's reaction to hearing the planet Mandalore. Just how he says it's cursed, or whoever steps mm. foot on that planet is cursed. Good and point. It makes me think that he's probably never been on Mandalore and has just heard stories from the group he was with. And I think we're eventually going there. I don't know what's going to be this season, but I could also picture it being kind of like the end game of the series where that's going to be the final destination for his journey of the story that we're seeing throughout the course of the series. And Jaren's going to be the ultimate ruler of Mandalore. Just watch. I I don't know. See, I I could see it going that way, and I could see it not going that way. Yeah, It's going that way, homie. It's going. (laughs) You see, if it does go that way, he's going to end up being like Jon Snow with the Iron Throne. Like, he doesn't want it. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. Baby Yoda's going to sit on it. That's where it's just like No, no, no. That's the whole point. It's going to be Game of Thrones done right. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. I do. I, I tell you what. I'm slightly worried for Bogotan seeing oh she oh she did yeah seeing seeing that fire in her eyes and how obsessed she is with reclaiming Mandalore and Moff Gideon like just thinking of Bogotan going up against Moff Gideon I could see her just being super confident and super gung-ho like I'm taking back Mandalore and him having some trick up his sleeve and I you know either killing her with the dark saber or doing something else um I hope that doesn't happen, but it wouldn't surprise me, especially with her like not being the main character. Like, I think they're going to defeat Moff Gideon and take back Mandalore, but she might not be the one to do it. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. But, you know, it was interesting thing- what you said, Tim, about um, Din. I think he has been to Mandalore because I'm trying to remember like last season when 
when Moff Gideon knew his name and he says like that name was in the registers on Mandalore or something. And I think he said like, I haven't mm. been there since I was a child or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong, line, but, but I, right. I got the impression that maybe he had been on Mandalore as a child and just hasn't been there in a long time. But mm. when he says like, he said that planet is cursed. Anyone who goes there dies. And I think that's probably like, again, we still don't know what exactly what happened in the purge. Um, obviously we know that like Mandalore had been occupied by the, by the empire, like during the time of rebels and that they were building these weapons, um, that like Sabine helped build and they were like eradicating Mandalorians and stuff. But then Bo-Katan gets the dark saber back. She's going to help liberate her people. And that's the last thing that we see in rebels. And obviously it didn't go well. And I think they probably try to lead an insurrection and take back Mandalore and the empire just stomps them out. And I think that's going to be what the purge is. Um, and I think we'll, I mean, I don't know if we'll get that full story told at some point, or if that's just going to be something we see through flashbacks in, in this show. But I think uh, at least in this show, we're definitely going to get some more information or some more backstory about it at some point. But um, yeah, I think that's a, a big sort of gap in the story that we still have left to fill in to see exactly how all that went down. Yeah. And when we do eventually go to Mandalore, I'm hoping we get another battle in that throne room because I've said before how we've gotten already quite a few iconic lightsaber battles in that Mandalorian throne room. And to see another one in live action, whether it's with Bo-Katan versus get uh, Moff Gideon or Din Djarin versus Moff Gideon in there to see another lightsaber battle in there or just any type of battle, I would I should say, because maybe only one of them is going to have the dark saber <laughs> that they're using in a potential fight for the throne. But to see another kind of quest to take the throne of Mandalore take place in that throne room in live action will just be another thrilling experience for fans of Clone Wars to see in live action. It'll be so amazing if that does happen, and I'm <laughs> really hoping it does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, she's trying to get the Darksaber back. They're trying to reclaim Mandalore. Uh, and she asks... Din. And of course, this is after, like I said, he runs out into the hallway. He's taken blaster bolts off his armor. He throws the explosives to clear out, you know, that last wave of stormtroopers to help them get to the cockpit and retake the ship. Um, and she's like, hey, are you sure you won't stick around and help us on our quest? Like, we could really use you. And he says, no, I have to get back to the child and continue on my journey. And he says, where can I find the Jedi? And she says, go to the city of Caladan on the forest planet of Corvus, and there you will find Ahsoka Tano. And man, and as soon as Bo-Katan showed up, and especially when she tells him, like, I can lead you to one of their kind when he's looking for the Jedi, I was like, oh, I bet you it's going to be Ahsoka. Like, even though, of course, we've heard the rumors about, like, her showing up in this season and everything, still, like, just knowing that we're heading more in that direction, that he's meeting Bo-Katan, I was like, oh, I bet, like, you know, the, the Jedi that she's going to lead him to is going to be Ahsoka. But I wasn't expecting to hear her outright name dropped in this episode. Um, yeah, and kind of real casually, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, like, Din Djarin doesn't know who Ahsoka is. So, like, in-universe, it's not this big reveal, and she's not, like, the chosen one or, you know, Grandmaster Yoda or anything like that. Like, she's just... He's like, hey, I happen to know this one person that had ties to the Jedi Order, so here you go. Here's the name you're looking for. Um, but obviously for us fans, it's a huge deal. But uh, yeah, I mean, just 
again, I, I was kind of like hanging on her every word as she was saying that. And I was like, okay, where's he going? Who's he going to meet? And again, even like knowing that it was probably going to be Ahsoka, just hearing her name in live action and then just getting confirmation that that's where we're going and that we're going to see Ahsoka in live action in this show uh, is just super exciting. I can't wait to see um, what's going down when we get there. Uh, and we'll talk about this more after the next episode and where kind of where that kind of leaves things and, and where we're headed. But um, by all accounts, I think this is going to be what I, I think we're going to see this within a week. I mean, we're recording this Sunday afternoon now. Um, but uh, yeah, Ahsoka's coming soon. So that's going to be really exciting to see. Yeah, next episode is written and directed by Dave Filoni. So, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> this Everything fits nicely to have Ahsoka debut in that episode. Yeah. Oh, snap. I didn't know that episode's next week. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, that's, and, why, that's why I was being vague about it, because I was like, Paul's been staying off social media. Maybe he doesn't thanks know. Thanks a lot, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's all everyone's been talking about since. Uh, I'm sorry if I spoiled the entire experience. No, 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 no. I, I, listen, the, the, the fact that, well, first of all, they hint at Ahsoka Tano in that, this episode – and then she's not in this one, and he's going. You know, he basically gets a ship fix in the next one to go to see Ahsoka. It, I, I figure she was coming sooner or later, so it's not like it's that big of a. And it still remains to be seen if the whole episode's going to feature her, or if it's just at the very end. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I don't know. Well, like I said, we'll we'll talk about that more at the end of the next episode. Um, yeah. But I, I do think the next episode is going to feature her pretty heavily. I don't think it's going to be a reveal just at the end. I think I don't think it's going to be that the next episode is going to be like him going on this perilous quest just to try to find this planet that she's on. I think he's going to go to the planet. He's going to find Ahsoka. And then some other stuff's going to go down. But um, yeah, I mean, again, just the just the idea, like, again, having it rumored is one thing. But then once you hear that name said on the show and just know that we're we're heading that direction um, and again, seeing the way that they successfully brought Bo-Katan to life in this episode gives me a lot of hope for uh, them just doing a great job with Ahsoka in the next episode as well. But yeah, so that was Chapter 11, The Heiress. Uh honestly maybe my favorite episode of the show to this point um just and uh, here's one other thing i want to mention about this real quick you know you talk about everybody likes to quote that line from george lucas saying like it's like poetry it rhymes um the third episode of the first season we also had a scene where din was in sort of a perilous situation he didn't know how he was going to get out of it and then a bunch of mandalorians on jetpacks fly in and save him so this was a lot like uh, the third episode from season one, but kicked up to a whole nother level. And one thing that I really appreciate about this too, just talking about the action and the visuals and stuff, is the way they use the jetpacks. Like in season one, and again, I don't know if this was budgetary restraints or them just kind of finding their footing of what they were doing with the series and the action and stuff. But like when you had Mandalorians flying around on jetpacks in season one, you could kind of tell that it was like stunt guys on wires that were kind of being slowly like lifted and dropped. Um, It still looked cool. Like it looked like Mandalorians done on a TV budget, but it still looked... I mean, it, it was just cool to see Mandalorians in live action, like a bunch of Mandalorians flying around on jetpacks and stuff, even like in the flashbacks too, when you got the Mandalorians coming in and rescuing him from the battle droids when he's a kid. Um, 
but having just seen well like going from that and then seeing like the mandalorians in the clone wars like in the siege of mandalore and having them doing all these like aerial acrobatics on the jetpacks and stuff and having these like high flying action scenes and um you know it's just like the movement is a lot faster and the action is kind of a lot faster paced um and it's not them just kind of like slowly going up or down it's like you know they're doing quick takeoffs and turns and and flying all which ways um and this episode had a lot more of that kind of feeling to it i mean even like when when they're on the boat and uh Koska reeves comes in who's that mandalorian that's played by uh sasha banks who we all thought was maybe going to be sabine so she was in the you know we, we didn't even talk about that but she showed up in this episode too not playing sabine but it was also a cool mandalorian um and just like her intro into that scene, she does like a flying spinning kick like on her jetpack and like takes out one of the Quarren. Um, but even, you know, them just like dropping down onto the the Imperial ship and everything, like it felt a lot smoother and a lot faster paced and like um just kind of closer to like a live action interpretation of some of the the jetpack action that we saw in Clone Wars. So um it was just really cool to see uh, them kind of take that up a notch too. Yeah, just everything in season two was taken up a notch. I mean, you could just notice it in every little detail. It was just awesome to see. And I'll tell you how far with any TV series is the progression as it continues on and just see how it improves. And The Mandalorian is showing in the early going of season two. I mean, just right away, as we talked about in the Marshall episodes, how you knew right away the scale was taken up a notch just with the battle with the Krayt Dragon. So glad that it's continuing and it just looks amazing and incredible. Yeah, definitely. Um, well then if we want to move on to chapter 12, the siege, uh, so, well, and then of course at the end of the last episode, Mando, you know, gets his ship back from the Mon Calamari, who's done a pretty shoddy job of patching it up. Um, and it's, you know, held together with like fishing nets and stuff and still got pieces falling off of it. So, uh, (laughs) then the next episode opens up with, you know, him and the child and he's trying to get the child to help him like fix the razor crest. And he's in like a little (laughs) crawl space by himself. And he's, Mando is trying to get him like, okay, now take the red wire and plug it where the blue wire goes. And then the child just like sticks the wires together and electrocutes himself. It reminded me of the scene from guardians Two with, uh, you know, rocket (laughs) and baby Groot where he's like, okay, now press this button, not this one because that'll kill all of us now tell me repeat back what i just said and he's i am group no not that button um (laughs) so that was a lot of fun uh just to start off and then you know obviously it doesn't work out too well uh and mando's like okay well you know what we're gonna need to fix the ship up in order to safely get to where we're going so how about we stop back on navarro for some repairs and uh, they go back and meet up with grief carga and cara dune again and grief has his guys fix the ship up um and while they're waiting for the repairs, they tell Mando, like, hey, we could really use your help uh, on this mission that we've got. You know, we found, like, and Cara Dune is now, like, the marshal of the town and has helped, you know, clean up kind of some of the, the scum and villainy. And they show him a map and they've got, you know, this whole big area of the planet that's this one big, like, safe zone now. But on the outskirts of it, there's this old Imperial base and they're like, oh, that's where all the stormtroopers came from uh, when Moff Gideon was here. And, you know, we fought all those Imperials, but, like, the base is still there and it's still, you know, kind of manned by a skeleton crew. And I don't know why the Empire hasn't abandoned it yet, but, you know, we want to go take this base out so that we can kind of clear the Empire out of here once and for all. Um 
And so, oh, and of course, bringing back the Mithral from season one, which <laughs> again, just when I saw him in the trailers, I was like, really, do we have to bring this guy back again? And uh, I don't know. Th- this was like, I guess you could kind of compare it to uh, Amy Sedaris's character, Pelimoto, who I really didn't like in season one. And then they brought her back for the first couple episodes. And I liked her a lot more this time around. And I will say with the Mithral coming back in this episode, I liked him more, or I guess I should say disliked him less than I did in the first episode of season one, but he still didn't really do much for me. Um, aside from the one time, the one part that did really make me laugh is when they get in like the, the shootout with the stormtroopers at the end and they're like in the hangar bay before they steal the, the speeder. And he's just kind of like popping his head up and down, like, three times like i don't know if he's trying to distract the stormtroopers or what but it was just i don't know it was, it was funny the way he was doing that but um but yet he still managed to shoot one in this earlier shootout <laughs> like, yeah like oh, you gotta be kidding me <laughs> but um yeah i don't know he had a couple effective comic relief moments and some that still just kind of fell flat for me um definitely not my favorite character but i don't know i didn't hate him but um i don't know it's fine i guess um, yeah definitely wasn't i guess necessarily needed to see him again he was would have been perfectly fine as a one-off character for the very first few minutes of the series and that's it but he showed up again and it it is what it is and like you said was less annoying than he was in those first few minutes of the season one episode but i i don't get it like everyone like rips on the mithril uh whatever i don't think it was that bad i i still don't think it was this awful character i mean he's a funny character it's it's nice He's a nice change of pace, I think, and I appreciate the fact that there's an alien in this. Uh, that I don't know, I, I, I don't, I, I understand. Like, the, here's a problem with the very, the very first episode of The Mandalorian. They were trying to set something up, and it was, it's, it's a little bit clunky. It wasn't executed the best way, I would say, from a director level. Again, that's, that's me saying that I love it at the end. Filoni definitely kind of changes pace a little bit and definitely kind of gets better as the episode goes. But that very first part, it's not it's not great. I wouldn't throw that all on him, the, the Mithril himself. So I, I really enjoyed him in this episode. I, I thought that he was it was a great uh, it was very great seeing him back, and I thought he was a good redemption for him as far as like annoying or not annoying or whatever. That that that's just me. It's funny, when I first saw him in the trailer for season two, and it kind of looked like it was all taking place in that Imperial base, I originally thought, oh, maybe they're busting him out of carbonite or something. Like, maybe whatever had him out of the bounty was someone from the Empire, and they were keeping him in this base, and for whatever reason, they had to spring him out and free him for some maybe information they needed, but... That wasn't the case at all. He was just there for the ride, <laughs> working with Grief Karga. Yeah, see, I never assumed that they were, like, busting him out specifically. Like, I thought maybe they were pulling some kind of prison heist. In fact, before the season, knowing that, or at least hearing the rumors that Bo-Katan was probably going to show up, and knowing that Moff Gideon had the Darksaber, so I was assuming that he had, like, defeated Bo-Katan at some point. I'm thinking maybe Bo-Katan is an Imperial prisoner, and they had to go bust her out, and then, like, they free a bunch of prisoners, and the Mithral just happens to be there, too, and so he ends up being along for the ride for, like, comic relief. Um, But, yeah, obviously that wasn't the case. He's along with them the whole time, and this isn't a prison. It's just, you know, what they think is just, like, an Imperial outpost that they're trying to take out 
And they go in, they blast some stormtroopers, they set the reactor to overload, and on their way out, they realize it's not uh, an outpost, it's a research lab, and they're doing some experiments, they've got like some bodies in tanks, um they obviously like there's a couple of imperial guys there monitoring it and they real quickly try to like shoot their computers and destroy all their evidence and mando and everybody like shoots them first um and they pull up some records off the computer and you've got dr pershing uh giving a report to moff gideon talking about how uh like their attempts have been unsuccessful and the bodies are rejecting the blood and it talking about uh something about M count, which I think we can assume is midi chlorian count. Oh yeah. And uh <laughs> and says that, you know, they they've basically like if they want to continue the test, he needs more blood from the child because he was only able to take a, a limited amount the first time around without killing him. Um and then Mando's like, well, this must be an old recording because Moff Gideon's dead because the last time he saw him was at the end of season one and, you know, the TIE fighter explodes and goes down. And so he thinks Moff Gideon's gone. And uh, the Mithral's like, no, this is from three days ago. And Mando's like, oh, crap, and realizes that Moff Gideon is still out there after the child. And they left the child, like, at a, a school in the town um, while they were off on this mission, which I kind of want to talk about that in a second, too, just about all the, the cute child moments that they had in this episode that was a lot of fun but um yeah so he he heads back to grab the child realizing that moff gideon is still out there and is still a threat and that you know they're they're using the child's blood for some kind of experiment and they're going to be coming after more of it um but man i gotta say we don't know exactly what these experiments are being used for and I've heard some different theories, like not everybody seems to agree with this. And I've heard a lot of people saying like that Moff Gideon is uh, either trying to like grow maybe his own sort of clone army or some like force sensitive super soldiers or that he's ultimately trying to grant himself force sensitivity. But I got to say those creepy deformed looking bodies floating in those tanks were looking awful Snoke like to me. <laughs> and so I think you know, having this defunct like Imperial research base out on the edge of the galaxy. And this is obviously like one of the last Imperial remnants. Cause this is after the battle of Jakku. And so, uh, you know, the empire isn't even like still at war with the rebellion. And we also find out later in the episode and we'll, we'll kind of talk about how some like kind of all of these things tie together at the end, but we find out from that new Republic pilot, he's like, hey, these aren't isolated incidents. Like, there's something going on out here, but people back in the core worlds don't want to believe it. Um, and so this all kind of seems like it's already starting to build towards the events of the sequel trilogy, which we kind of knew was maybe a possibility at some point that the Mandalorian might start getting into exploring some of the early origins of, uh, like, the Resistance and the First Order and everything, but... Um, kind of surprising that they're taking this big of a step, like halfway through season two, when we're still only like five years into that time period. Um, but yeah, I don't know with with this scene specifically though, with them in the research lab, like that's where I think this is headed is that Moff Gideon, whether it's him sort of by his, like, I don't know if he's the one completely in charge and he's just one of the first ones trying to spearhead this effort to bring back Palpatine or if he is working for someone else and, you know, whether there's another big bad or whether the the spirit of Palpatine is still out there somewhere or whether he's in contact with like the cultist on, on Exegol 
or anything like that, or like I said, or whether he is just kind of doing this at his own directive. But I think we're seeing, you know, some early stages of that effort to to create Snoke or bring back Palpatine or whatever is whatever it is they're trying to do. Boy, was this a scene I was not expecting to see in this episode <laughs> and to get this revelation and yet giving us more questions as well, because I totally agree as far as how the seeds are being laid out for the beginnings of the first order here. And John Favreau teased as much in some early interviews this year, talking about season two, how we may see kind of some hints and groundwork being laid for what will eventually become the first order. And I think this was definitely the first step towards that. And yeah, just seeing and getting more info for what Gideon wants the child for was good to get officially because obviously we've been speculating ever since the third episode when we saw um, baby Yoda on that uh, table there. We didn't know exactly what he was doing, but now we know for sure he was drawing blood from the child. And you throw in the test tubes in there with those bodies, and I totally agree. First thing I thought of was Snoke. I mean, they're kind of out of focus, but even the silhouette of what you see in those tubes, it looks awfully like the shape of <laughs> Snoke, or at least an early version or something to that effect. But again, it just makes you think what exactly is going on here as far as what is the goal and who's actually the one in charge of all of this. Because obviously the one we're seeing in the series is Gideon, but is it for the grand scheme of Palpatine later on, which we're going to see with the first order, or is he, is it for himself? And he's kind of taken for what he knows of potential or Palpatine's potential plans and thinking that he is fully dead and the empire um, is almost gone. He's going to use what he knows for himself. And that's kind of where I'm leaning towards uh, as far as what his goal is. I don't, personally think right now anyway that this is the start or just all a part of Palpatine's plan in the early stages for his clone body I think Palpatine already started that and once the Empire fell Palpatine probably has everything going on in Exegol but the either the leftovers or the early stages for what he developed on Exegol were still in these remaining Imperial remnants on these bases on planets in the Outer Rim and Moff Gideon knew about that and he wants to try to use it for his benefit. That's what I think is happening here, where mm. he wants to use the child for to get his midi-chlorians. And obviously they said, not necessarily clone, cloning them, but he's using it for transfusions. And they've already mentioned test subjects and how they failed. And yeah, I think that's his goal here. Is that was a question is, well, maybe we'll get to this later in the last shot of the episode. But until we got to that point, this is what I was thinking I was, as I was watching it, where I think he wants to use it for himself for he, for he to become force sensitive and kind of do it the cheat way. Yeah. And it's not going to have very good results <laughs> probably once he does reach that goal, if he ever reaches that goal. But I think that's what he wants the child for. And I don't know, it's just going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And if we do learn more about how this all started, where did the child come from? How did they originally find out about him to issue the bounty is again, like stuff that this keeps making you think and think we know those uh, scientists in the, I forget his name, but the one who was on the hologram message and who we saw in the early episodes of season one and those two who are trying to destroy oh, the records. Name? Um, they're, they had those uh, Kaminoan patches on their uniforms 
So is there still an element of cloning going on here? And as much as I believe that the child is a new, its own a species of Yoda's species, and he's just a new character for that, there's still a part of me that thinks, is it possible that is a, it's a clone of Yoda? Is it possible? I don't necessarily believe it, but the fact that we're still seeing these people wearing the Kaminoan uniforms is it because of that reason where they they tried to make a clone of Yoda and was that the child the only successful one and they lost it now they're trying to get it back and use it to get his midichlorians for whatever plan Gideon has it's just again your mind can go crazy with all these different ideas and speculations and maybe none of them will come to fruition especially that area I don't think that's going to be the case and me personally I really want the child to be its own being and just another one of Yoda's species um so but still it's just very, very interesting to get this revelation here in that one sequence in this episode, which I was not expecting. But I, I love seeing it. And just, again, as diehard Star Wars fan, it just makes your brain go crazy and it just makes you trace back to other stories that, you know, looking back, looking forward to the future with the sequel trilogy. And it just, I just love that stuff. Whenever we get it in these episodes, this is what I love about getting Star Wars on a weekly basis as as a TV show dating back from Clone Wars and it, it doing the same thing for other characters and now we're we're getting it more so with the Mandalorian and it's just awesome so I just love it one just one scene in a whole episode could just bring about all this detail and mm -hmm. speculation that just yeah. makes you think about the overall grand story of Star Wars I just love it so much well and there's so much to like you said Tim to, to break down like I couldn't even tell. I, I didn't even think of Snoke. I'm like, hey, they're, they're, I, I, was, I just didn't know what to think. And I have no idea where they're going with it. And that's what's, I think, really exciting about it. And that we don't really know. We know in canon that, that Palpatine, and he brought all his, basically, all his moths were supposed to go to the uh, unknown regions and go from there and, re, you know, and basically kind of like figure out what become the first order and the final order and we don't know if moff gideon is a, you know is he doing this he says long live the empire and but we don't really know what exactly that means uh to him and there could be lots of different reasons i i kind of hope it's him trying to like help palpatine because that would def definitely justify a lot of i think of rise of skywalker and put again kind of like in retroactively kind of helping those things uh, kind of flush them out a little bit. I would like that personally. And if it's not, that's fine too. But I personally would enjoy that more given again. And what I've, I've said before on these shows is you kind of expand the mythology of these films, you know, last Jedi and rise of Skywalker, you've got to justify the sequel trilogy in some way, give it some, you know, some uh, reason to exist. And I think right now the Mandalorian, you could be creating that, uh, but you have to do it and, you know, do it well. And this potentially could be doing that with Snoke, with Palpatine. I really think this could be a, a great opportunity for them to do that. And I just don't know if they're going to it's, but I, I, I do hope so. I, I do hope so. But, but really quickly, Kyle, I, I just think that with all of this, um, as far as the child goes, I think that, you know, I hope he also is a, his own species of, or uh, his own part of the species, not a clone of Yoda, but I'm, my money's on clone of Yoda now just because really? of the, 
Mm. Yeah, because the fact that it is cloners that are or they're these people in the facility that they're that they're that had the child to begin with and that he's 50 years old. I think that they've been heart that, that this is this was something that they've they've somehow miraculously done. He's force sensitive and it also gives credence to the fact that George did not want to explain where Yoda came from. And this would be one way of doing that without having to um what's the word? You ha- you can do that without having to reveal the origin, if you will, which I hope I'm wrong. Because I want to have, I want to be able to know what the species is. I, I, I like you, Tim. I like to know the stuff. I don't think that it's, the, you know, revealing some of the mystery is a bad thing, which I hope I'm wrong. And I, you know, I honestly hope they super shadow it and name name him a will. And if you know that <laughs> reference, then wow. And, and and not just super shadow, but the fact that uh, in that that fake interview that George Lucas gave to Super Shadow uh. and named Yoda a Will, I would love them to be called Wills. So that's just me. But yeah, I I, uh, I do hope it gives justification to the sequel trilogy and also gives Yoda's uh, species a little more reveal. But I just don't know if that's going to happen. Well, potentially with what we're all thinking that if Ahsoka shows up in the upcoming episode, you would think she'd be able to know right away with seeing the child. Just knowing Yoda as well as she does and be able to sense his life essence. And if it is a really successful clone of Yoda, she would know that right away. That, so yeah, that's what I was about to say that she could, I mean, I don't think she would know that right away just by looking at it because Yoda's I mean, nine, nine, 900 years old, but to, but to be able to sense through, I think she could probably sense through the force if it was a clone. Mm-hmm. Um, right. All I will say is if that en- did end up being the case, then, um, everybody was right to call him baby Yoda all along. And you know what? Maybe that's the reason why Lucasfilm is trying so hard <laughs> to push the child. So they yeah. don't want to ruin the surprise. Like, Oh that's shoot. Everybody already Yoda. figured it out. Yeah. No, that was, that was already their name that they picked out a long time ago. Baby Yoda was just a very, and that's, yeah. well, exactly. No, no, no. Well, that's, that's what, what we're saying, saying yeah. is that the, the, by the fans all starting to call it baby Yoda, they're like, Oh wait, no, don't, don't call him that. Well, no, I, I think, but I think actually, no, it actually works more for what you guys want or what we want is because they don't want it to associate it with Yoda because it's not Yoda. They want it to be its own character eventually when they know its real name. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, no, 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 but that's what I'm saying. If it is a clone of Yoda, then he really is right, a little baby right, Yoda. Yeah, yeah. But, well, and, no, I understand. And, and for the record, I'm kind of on the fence. I, I'm always iffy about cloning characters you know i still am not a huge idea a huge fan of the idea of them bringing palpatine back um whether he's a a, i guess he's kind (laughs) of a clone body in rise of skywalker um or even like cloning star killer in the force unleashed 2 just so that they could have another game after they killed him off in the first game but it would be an interesting concept i mean like you said the fact that these guys have kaminoan patches like it, it at least wouldn't be something like totally out of left field it's like they could be kind of potentially hinting at that it also would kind of make sense why um and maybe we'll find this out too like later on in the series as to why baby yoda where is where he is at the beginning of the series in the first place mm-hmm. like why there's this 50 year old baby just sitting in a little floating carriage out in this 
hideout protected by a bunch of like random thugs and bounty hunters? Like, how did he even get there in the first place? Um, oh, wait, wait, guys, wait, hold on. I just thought of something just really crazy. An episode with, with Kyle, you helped me out. An episode explaining how he got to that exact moment. Like, a whole episode is about Baby Yoda's like, journey to that point like you know those episodes like it's purely like a prequel Mm -hmm. kind of a thing oh yeah imagine getting that episode this season that would be pretty dang cool yeah and and you know what honestly yeah and and this episode even kind of did that a little bit for like just seeing this imperial base and finding out that they were doing these experiments there and obviously it's on that same planet where everything was going on in season one with uh, you know, like the client being there and sending out all these bounty hunters to find the child and then Moff Gideon showing up later. It's like, oh, okay, it makes sense now. Like, and these weren't even like big unanswered questions that I felt like I had at the time in season one, but you don't even really think about like, well, you know, why this planet? Why are these guys here? Um, But now we know it's because they had a lab, you know, a few hours away or whatever, like on the same planet where they were trying to use this child's blood to grow snoke clones or whatever they're doing over there so even i mean i'm just talking about like having connective tissue back to season one and kind of adding additional context to things um that we i mean some things that we obviously were unanswered questions as far as like what are their intentions for the child but also um you know that kind of answered some things for me that i didn't even like really question but it just was like oh okay that makes even more sense now um, I think if we go, if you go back and watch the beginning of season one, just having this context of knowing that, you know, the client is there trying to recruit people and everything and knowing that this lab is nearby and what they're doing over there is, uh, is just going to help tie it all together more. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. And again, the fact that we're halfway through season two and we're already getting some of these type of questions answered, we've got Bo-Katan showing up and setting up conflicts with her and Moff Gideon and Mandalore and, uh, all these teases at like Snoke and the first order and the resistance. And it's like, and it's not even that the show has done this in its first season and a half. It's really just been the first half of season two because season one kind of felt like its own thing. And just knowing where it was in the timeline felt like it had the potential to start setting some of this stuff up. And now we're halfway into season two and it's like, I didn't think we'd be getting this much this quickly, but, and it doesn't feel like too much either. You know, like it doesn't feel like they're just cramming in Easter eggs or like Mm -hmm. they're trying to do too much with it. It all feels natural. Um, So I just can't wait to see what they've got in store for the second half of the season. And I can't wait to see them start to like shed more light on some of these mysteries and, and see where we go with it. Yeah. Just to go back to the point where the fact that we've pretty much seen everything in the, two trailers we got for season two, it just bodes that I think some pretty big stuff is on the way <laughs> in these last four yeah. episodes. Mm-hmm. Big time. Well, and, and I, I know we haven't really dissected the episode yet, but to kind of, and, and, and to be honest, it's more of a kind of a very, it's in the vein of the, of episode two of the season, which is like, it, it's more of kind of a, I wouldn't say throw, I almost said throwaway, but like a very much of a fun kind of like uh you know, heist or, you know, whatever kind of doesn't pertain. It, it pushes the story forward, which we're getting to, but other stuff, not necessarily. Um, that being said, I, I gotta say that there is, like you said, Tim, so much we haven't been shown so far and the big reveals that we we have coming up. It is, it's crazy. And I think that 
we like again we they've said that they know baby yoda's real name and so either way if it's yoda it would make sense if if soka was like yeah i sense master yoda in this baby they'd be like oh my god it's you know whatever they could say they could say that too but i think that what's really crazy about this is that they're in these four episodes it in my opinion feels like the setup of you know the transition because we've heard the rumors of the transition of mid-season that things kind of kind of go a different way i feel like they're setting that up that i again i'm gonna go back to i think ahsoka is taking the child i think it is it very well could happen in this next episode we could see the child go and wow. i think <laughs> i think it's very very possible and i'm not gonna put money on it yet but i think it's if, if Ahsoka is indeed coming in that episode, I think the child could be going, especially if we only seen this much, the, all the stuff in the trailers, that could be it. And this could be the transition that we're, we're, we're talking about because the rumors of Ahsoka having her own series, I think are real. I think there, they are, there's a lot of validity to it. And I think that baby Yoda transitioning to Ahsoka, I've said this from the very beginning that I, I think that she could be getting her own series. And that's very much, a very a big possibility that baby Yoda is that transition. He is the baton, the key of getting the, the normal mainstream media into that section. And I think it very well could be happening right here. And I think it's very evident. And, and I want to say that for the record, how much has baby Yoda been a, a focal point as far as the main character of driving these stories of these episodes? Not really. Like he's been kind of sidelined, this whole time. Well, I would say he's still the main motivation, though. Like Mando's no. entire, even even if we don't see a whole lot of the child himself, Mando's entire motivation is the child. But it's trans. But look at it, it's transitioning into something else to the Mandalorians. You have Boba Fett. You've got all this other stuff. I mean, it is like to me. I don't. It, it is, I don't know how much Boba Fett's going to factor into it. Um. And I think he'll be a factor. Possibly. I look, here's the thing we, and we talked about this on our last episode, the fact that like they may be trying to spin off Boba Fett into his own story, but the fact that they introduced him in the Mandalorian and it was just that one tease at the end of the episode that that has to be a payoff at some point. Right. And we got to at least see more of him in this show, but now three episodes later, like I've kind of already forgotten about Boba Fett. Like, just with the momentum we have going right now with with the other Mandalorians and with Ahsoka and everything. Like now I kind of my theory after because after we saw the heiress, I think I already knew that Dave Filoni had written and directed episode five of this season. So when she name dropped Ahsoka, I was like, he's not going to find Ahsoka in the next episode. He's going to find Ahsoka in episode five. And I was thinking, well, what if you know, he's trying to get there and the Razor Crest needs repairs. And so he stops back on Tatooine to have Pelimoto fix up the Razor Crest again. And while we're back on Tatooine, he meets Boba Fett. And next episode could be the Boba Fett episode. And obviously that didn't happen. He goes back to Navarro instead. Um, and it's funny because I was kind of feeling the same way like you were talking about, Paul. Like, I was like, oh, okay, this is just another side stop where he needs to get the Razor Crest fixed so he can get to Ahsoka. And this is going to be kind of another like side quest filler episode until we get halfway through and you see like these Snoke clones. And I was like, oh, shoot, this episode suddenly just became a lot more interesting. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, at this point, I'm like with just the direction that 
things are headed these last three episodes, if we do see Boba Fett again in this show, it probably won't be for a while. And it could still be by the end of the season because we have no idea what's going to happen these last four episodes. But even like he hasn't done anything with the armor since getting it, you know, and so it almost is like, what was the point of that episode? And I think, and I mean, I'm not saying that that sort of nullifies it or brings it down or anything because I still think the Marshall is a fantastic episode, but his goal of gaining that Mandalorian armor back, like he hasn't done anything with that since. And so I'm just wondering how much of a role is that really going to play going forward? Now it still has the potential to, to, you know, play a role in a lot of unexpected ways because we don't know where they're going with it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think with just with the, with where things are at right now, I'm, Boba Fett, I feel like, is kind of on the back burner. Yeah, once he didn't show up in the next episode, I said this before, in episode two, um, The Passenger, I kind of figure or set my expectations to where he might not be in this season any longer. If anything, maybe at the last episode or something. But I just strongly feel that they're doing these small teases each season. And then we're going to finally, hopefully anyway, get the big Boba Fett story in next season. So because I agree so much is building up to the story that doesn't really center back to Boba when you look at it right now. It's just how where his course is set for the remainder of the season and these last four episodes. And it could venture back that we don't know. But just from where things are at right now, based off these last two episodes, his course seems pretty clear. And we'll see if it ends up going back to Tatooine. But right now I'm kind of expecting... Uh, much to my chagrin, because I was really hoping he'd have a bigger role in this season. But we might have just seen only a tease of Boba, but more is going to come from him, definitely. I mean, I have no doubt about that, whether it's next season or his own series. But um, I think the course for the remainder of the season is set with Din Jaren going to find Ahsoka and then dealing with what Moff Gideon has in store for him and him trying to get the child back. So I just don't see how that goes back to Boba just yet. But I would love to be proven wrong and have... Uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have a great creative way to bring Boba into the story that we're, that Din Djarin is going to go on with the child in Ahsoka. We'll see, but I'm not banking on it too much right now. So, um, but again, it doesn't make these next few episodes less exciting as we're talking about it. What's in store for us for these next few episodes? I just cannot wait to see for what has been set up um, in these last two episodes that we're talking about right now. It's just going to be <laughs> amazing to see unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a couple other things, you know, just points to talk about with uh, this last episode, The Siege. First of all, like I said, when they take the child to that school at the beginning and uh, you see him like interacting with the other kids and uh, the one kid is sitting there at- eating like the cookies or whatever. And, you know, the child, obviously, because he's always hungry and always looking for a snack is, uh, you know, he like holds his hand out and he's being all cute and the kid's like, no, they're mine, you know, get away. And uh, so, of course, the child just uses the force to snatch him, and he's eating the cookies. And then um, between that and the scene at the beginning where he's fixing the wires and the scene at the end where they're on the Razor Crest and he's just enjoying the ride as as Din is shooting down the TIE Fighters and stuff, I think this episode probably had just some of the most fun and, like, cutest moments with the child since probably... Yeah, I agree. I, I would say since episode four of season one... Um, Sanctuary is probably my other favorite, like the child episode where uh, that's the one where he interrupts uh, Mando and Cara Dune's fight with, you know, just sipping the soup and watching them. Um, and he's got some other cute moments in that episode too. But yeah, this one was a lot of fun just uh, for for fun, cute child moments. Um, 
but then also like so getting back to like the main story when they're in that lab and they're you know they find out that uh you know the empire is still after the child and and find out what they're doing with his blood and stuff uh so then they they go to get out before the base explodes they're just running through the hallways shooting guys left and right uh even mithril is taking guys out which you know i'm sure tim loved and then uh <laughs> you know random crew member sticks his elbow in there i don't know if you guys saw that but there's like one brief shot where like a door opens yeah. and you know the, you can I, see one of the crew members behind the blast door i didn't um, see it while watching the episode but i saw everyone tweeting about it so yeah well i, I saw people tweeting about. about it and then when i rewatched it i i caught it in there but it's real quick i mean people were comparing it to the game of thrones coffee cup gaff but that was there for like a whole long shot this is kind of a blink and you miss it kind of thing um but it is kind of hard to miss once you know to be looking for it um but so you get some more fun like blaster shootouts in the hallway and then mando of course gets out first and he takes off on his jetpack and flies back and then uh kara and grief and the mithral um they steal that like troop transport and they uh, back out of the base and they're going down the rocky hill and all the, the scout troopers are following them on speeder bikes. Two of them crash into each other. Um, <sighs> but then we get this really cool chase scene through the canyon where first like the speeder bikes are chasing them and then the TIE fighters come after them and Grief Cargas in the turret on the back of the thing um shooting them down which it was cool because that was it was almost like a live action rebels episode because how many times have we seen like kanan and ezra hijack those turrets on the the imperial mm -hmm. troop transports um and, but again just like and going back to kind of what you were talking about earlier paul of just the scale of all of it and just you know them translating star wars to live action really well like Especially just the like both from a visual standpoint and especially the sound effects of first speeder bikes and then TIE fighters just zooming through this canyon and firing their blasters at the thing and and uh, just trying to take out this transport. It was really cool. And again, just again, we can't say it enough, but just felt like Star Wars and felt like something you'd see out of a Star Wars movie. And there were some really cool shots of like the TIE fighters diving down into the canyon Um and then, of course, you know, the base explodes, they clear the canyon, they still got the TIE fighters on their tail, and Mando arrives at the last second in the Razor Crest that's all fixed up now, and, uh, you know, takes out the TIE fighters and has some really cool, like, aerial dogfight scene, or uh, shots of him taking out the fighters there, so um, that was just a pretty cool, fun way to end the episode before we got another big reveal, but, um, yeah, I don't know, what'd you guys think of that, uh, just that chase scene out of there? Really fun chase sequence for all the reasons you said. And even in the trailers where we got a little glimpse of it with the scout troopers on the speeder bikes chasing after it, um, it shaped up to be a really cool sequence, which it was. But uh, seeing those two scout troopers crash on that rocky hill, I was like, that was a facepalm moment for me. Because <laughs> I was just thinking the stormtroopers in the beginning in the base were just looking like the jokes that they are, missing their targets, getting mowed down. And then when the scout trooper showed up, I was like, okay, here we go. These troopers are going to do their thing. We're going to have a cool chase sequence. And that amazing shot of them jumping off the platform onto the rocky hill, it looked awesome. I was like, yes, this is really cool. And then one of them hits a rock, crashes, and smashes it to the other one. They both crash. It's like, you got to be kidding me. This group <laughs> of store troopers, scout troopers, they're just the most incompetent I've seen in the Empire <laughs> in a long while. It was just... I know the series really plays up the joke aspect of stormtroopers, how they can't shoot anything. It is fun, but it would be nice once in a while to see them be an actual threat. <laughs> I mean, we don't, these are our main, main heroes. They're not going to die here, but just to 
show that they can be a threat and be a little competent in what they're doing. And just seeing those two scout troopers crash is just the culmination of like, okay, this is this is a joke right now. <laughs> showing this type of stuff for the troopers. So wasn't the Empire's finest moments uh, in this episode, and it capped off with that moment of them crashing. It was like, uh, you got to be kidding me. The trooper me, the trooper fan in me was not happy. But besides that, still an enjoyable chase sequence for, like you said, Kyle, just stuff that really felt like a really cool Star Wars action sequence uh, with speeder bikes, TIE fighters. It was just really fun and a good, wasn't the full end of the episode, but a good action sequence to close off uh, the majority of the episode, I should say. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, this episode was a lot of fun. It was it was nice seeing Grief and 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 Cara Dune, um, Cardi, whatever her name is, and, and, and obviously, like, I know there's a lot of controversy with Gina Carano, and and you know, it, I don't agree with all of what she says online and whatever, but I like the character Cara Dune. That's what's unfortunate, you know, I guess. But I so if she sticks around, I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, but as far as like the character, but um, it was really nice seeing him. It was cool to get like the whole New Republic thing and uh, at the end. But uh, but I, I gotta say, and I, again, I feel I feel like like a broken record a lot of times with this stuff. But um, when I, watching this episode, I know it was directed by Carl Weathers himself, uh, and I I just like Carl Weathers as a person. He just seems like a really good dude, you know. Um, yeah, and, and that's and it's really cool because one of the things that I remember him talking about John Favreau during the first um, press uh, stuff for the first Mandalorian season, just talked about how much he appreciated John and how much he is a man of his word and, and just as an honorable person because you know he's when, when he first signed on he talked about wanting to do directing an episode of, of the Mandalorian and John said yeah we can't do it this season. We, we'll, we'll talk about the next season. And, and, and that ended up happening. And one of the things that you know, Carl said was, you know, he, he's a man of his word. And that's something very rare in, in, what, in what we do here. Or I'm paraphrasing, but it was really cool kind of seeing Carl, one, you can tell he was really excited about being part of Star Wars, but just he really likes the people that he's working with. And I thought that was interesting. And seeing this episode that he directed, um, and again, written by John Favreau. So it's not like he, you know, wrote the episode, but he, directed it, you know, and, and orchestrated it and he executed it. I thought very, very well. One thing I noticed, and I'm not sure if this was his idea or a fab or whatever, but there were so many swipes, uh, transitions in this. Episode. I did notice that. Yep. In the action sequences. Yeah. 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 Well, and no, not just the action sequences. We're talking just all over the episode, man. No, but the, what, the action sequences stood out because you hardly see swipes like that during the action. That, that's fair, but like, but but all of it together was like, mm. whoa! There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I have to say that one, first of all, this the swipes we how many transition swipes we had in this episode made up for the lack of them in Last Jedi alone. <laughs> Holy crap! Because I, I feel like Ryan was like, I'm you know he even said like I don't have that many swipes. Oh man, well oh well, and I'm like. They made up for you in this one episode, buddy. Uh, but anyway, uh, I thought it was funny. But the one, but there were so many that I couldn't help but just get this like vibe of a comic book. Like I really felt like this, the way they transitioned with everything and the pacing, just felt like a comic book to me. Tim, I'm just curious 
if you kind of got the same kind of general feeling that I did through this, because that's what I felt. It felt very comic booky to me with all those transitions. To be honest, I didn't necessarily think that while watching it, but just hearing you mention that it had it was like a comic book, I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> where if you can look at it that way, which is what those swipes is kind of like you're just going from panel to panel. Again, especially in those action sequences, those is what really stood out to me as far as the swipes goes. Because mm -hmm. again, you hardly see a lot of cuts like that during action sequences, but it was on display here. And now that you mentioned, I could totally get that comic book vibe that you're saying. So I think, I think it's a very accurate call. Yeah. So I, yeah, I really like this episode and it's, and I, that chasing was phenomenal. I, and I want to talk about how, how good this show looks, man. I mean, and again, it is mind blowing to me how good it looks. And I was thinking about what if we got a movie that had this kind of sequence in it? We'd be pretty happy with it, you know, as far as how it looks. Now, granted, like the content within the show was a movie or whatever. We probably would, you know, the mithril and all that stuff. Like, I know a lot of people would be like, we don't like this, blah, blah, blah. But what's crazy about it is that it's not a movie. It's a TV show. And when we move on the next week and think about how special that is. And just that Star Wars is revolutionizing uh, the entertainment world again, and not in film, but in TV. And I just, I got to my own horn. I said TV was the future before the Mandalorian ever even stepped foot on the screen. And I just, I was mind blowing at how it feels crazy to, to know one, I was right. I mean, I, I'm not saying it was a I, I, like I'm a prophecy or anything like that, but I just I had a feeling that that this was a big deal, and I knew it was going to be a big deal. And we all knew it was a big deal, but I thought it was going to definitely change things for going forward. And and obviously, I couldn't predict Baby Yoda or a pandemic, but holy crap! Like this is the future of Star Wars. I mean, I know and I want Star Wars to come back to a theater, but getting that sequence. And, and, and I know that the Bo-Katan episode is amazing, but that sequence with the, with the scout troopers on speeder bikes, it just felt very cinematic to me. And not just cinematic, but the way, it, how the quality looked. And I know we already had the crate Dragon and everything, but again, this, was a this wasn't the introduction episode. Again, throwing the budget into the, you know, different sections. And that's what I'm used to with television. They have their budget and they save it for certain things. And I think that still goes on here. Don't get me wrong. But that being said, this is episode four. This is not episode, you know, a, a big episode where I think that it's a tentpole episode, like which I think the next one is probably going to be, or the first one, or towards the last episode. You get what I'm saying? It looks this good at episode four. It's out, I mean, it's just like, holy crap. Like it's looking better and better every episode and this i said this in a tweet on friday that it's only gonna get better from here it's just getting uh, not like i'm not saying this the uh the the quality of the content as, as like storytelling will get better i have no idea i'm assuming it will but strictly from a looks department of special effects the the um oh my god the oh my god the what's it called the the volume the volume, the special effects, the the uh, costumes. I mean, we the Pondababa alien species. Like I can't forget. Uh, the, um, is it the Aquilian? The, is that 
what I'm thinking um, of? Aqualish. Aqualish, yeah. The Aqualish. AKA Walrus Men. Uh, butt face. The, <laughs> you know, but, but no, like the costumes, the volume, the special effects, they're looking phenomenal and they're only going to get better every freaking episode and every season. And I'm just like, man, like, and this is why I'm said it was a big deal for the Mandalorian. And I thought it this was a big deal for um, the future of Star Wars on TV because look what we're getting. And it's just gonna, like I said, it's just going to get, get, keep getting better and better and better. And it's like, honestly, as much as I love Star Wars and film, if we got a, like more Mandalorian like quality looking episodes and seasons, I, I don't need to go to a theater. I, it, yes, it's special to go to a theater, but like I could get a movie every three years and I'm good. Like I or if that again, if theaters even come back at this point, but you know it, it's it's looking so phenomenal that I just it's mind blowing that we're getting this stuff and and I'm glad that and I'm glad. To be honest, I'm so glad we're getting it. Like, I'm glad if this was a transition between Star Wars going from TV to uh, from movies to TV, then so be it. Like, I I used to be like, well, I need the Star Wars in the theater. I, to be honest, at this point, I don't need it. Like, I have so much fun watching these in uh, with my wife and in my eventually my daughter, hopefully, uh, you know, in the future, and and you know, and whatever, like. I just I love what we're getting from this. It, it really is special, and I yeah I I, I love this stuff, man. It, it's 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 great. Um, I had one more point. I was trying. I'm forgetting what I wanted to say about it, it was pertaining to this whole um, idea of, of of Star Wars on TV and everything. And but yeah, I, I just it, it's really crazy that we're we're getting this, and we're it, again it's still going to get better. Oh yeah, this is what I was gonna say. It's amazing to me, and and one thing that I, I I thought was interesting, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, is that there is something with these alien costumes they use, like they're gonna reuse them. Like they're with, with the one thing with TV and with trying to save your budgets and everything, there's gonna be more of an emphasis on costumes that they can reuse, and I'm really excited about that because that's one thing that I thought was missing in both. A little bit of the prequel trilogy, but a lot in the sequel trilogy is just having some continuity and some consistency and seeing like familiar aliens and all this other stuff. And and now we're getting that like the Mandalorian is using and and they're and they're using obviously these sets over and over again for budgetary reasons. and, And but these alien costumes, it's just nice to see familiar aliens again. And we're getting them on a more consistent basis and we're going to see them down the line. And it just makes me want to make a giant Jabba the Hutt or uh, Hutt puppet to reuse later on as well. Because goddamn, I want to see a hut, a live hut again, a puppet hut. So, um, but yeah, I, I think this is really cool. I, I just love the fact that we're getting all this, and th- we're gonna see. There's more reason to reuse these costumes later on too, right? So, I don't know. I, I just, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I just, Star Wars TV is phenomenal. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, definitely agree with everything you're saying just about having Star Wars on TV, like, especially after these last four episodes and the implications of where things can go for the rest of the season and for future seasons and just knowing that 
this show really has found its groove and it's just going to keep getting bigger and better. I'm like, no, obviously again. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously excited for the next time we get to see star Wars in a theater too, but it's not like this is just something to hold us over until then, you know, it's like we have no idea what the next movies are going to be like, or even when they're going to come out, if they're going to be able to stick with, you know, their, their 2023 uh, projected date that they're working on right now. But like in the meantime, I'm perfectly happy with what we're getting with the Mandalorian. And uh, of course, we're also going to get Cassian and Kenobi. And there's already talk of potential other spinoffs of the Mandalorian. Um, and I think yeah, they're just they're, it abs- they're absolutely killing it right now. And I can't wait to see what they keep doing with this. And yeah, like for just having all the aliens and stuff, like it was super cool to see a whole planet of Mon Calamari and Corrin again. Um and then, of course, in this last episode, you get the Ponda Baba guys. But it's funny because when you're talking about, like, having them reuse costumes potentially in the future, they've already done some of that. Um, like, I know with some of the costumes in season one, like, there's one of the Rodian bounty hunters on Navarro that's, like, working with Grief Karga is uh, one, yeah. of, one of Enfys Nest's gang from Solo. Yeah, um, So they've exactly. already started doing that a little bit. But, yeah, it, it's definitely cool to see um, – to just get some of those familiar original trilogy aliens again. But then, of course, we're already getting new species, too, like the frog lady. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on, you know, any other ones that we've gotten that have been new so far. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there's plenty of room to keep doing, you know, new creatures and aliens and stuff down the road, too. So, um, yeah, it's just they're, they're just <laughs> doing a great job of. Again, I, this is so cliche and I keep saying it, but just doing stuff that feels like Star Wars and looks like Star Wars and yeah. has the Star Wars creatures and the Star Wars locations and just that it's just nailing that Star Wars vibe. With the volume, and Tim, I'm sorry, I'll let you talk here. I, I, I oh, keep, keep going. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have to say with what's what's crazy is we're going to be getting not just the Mandalorian and, and granted we, we got the Mandalorian and we got the Clone Wars and, and we were blessed with that. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and resistance and resistance, resistance wasn't completely terrible, but whatever. But, but now we're going to be getting, like you said, the Obi-Wan limited series. There's the rumors of the Boba Fett series that's coming out that like, and honestly, I think there's legitimacy, uh, legitimate legitimacy with that. Honestly, I, because if it's filming in a couple months or soon, would make a lot of sense if, if, if they're doing a miniseries like Obi-Wan. And especially if it takes place on, on Tatooine, you could shoot that pretty inexpensively because you already built the sets for uh, Obi-Wan and you film out in a desert. And you can socially distance and control COVID really easily starting then, especially with their vaccine coming out in a couple months or, you know, or in four or five months you can easily get things ready to go, do that right now and have that ready to go next year uh, when everyone else is still struggling and trying to find content to put out. And you're putting out Star Wars Boba Fett miniseries. I mean, think how ridiculous that sounds. So this and this is what I'm saying, like they can act and make things a lot faster and it looks phenomenal. I mean, and that's one thing we haven't really even touched on really either, I don't think, is the fact that, hey, guys. Like they they just got this done. Like it was not like this has been in the bank. Like you know, this isn't uh, Black Widow or Wonder Woman eighty four. It's been waiting to get released. They made this like the COVID happened right before they were done, and they got this done right before it got it out there, and they were ready to go. 
and they managed to get it through and they're still filming doing stuff now and with obi-wan or they're about to film with obi-wan they got it out pretty pretty quickly and that's pretty good the fact they and it looks this phenomenal and they got it out that quickly I and mean, think about season one they were filming in august and they re released it in october i mean that should tell you that man like they've they've got this down to a science so you very well, I think it's very, very possible we're going to see a, a Boba Fett series very soon, a miniseries, and would not shock me. So there's just so much to digest, and I think that it's really exciting that Disney now can act and react fast to things they want to make for Star Wars, uh, you know, within reason for, for these TV series. and. And I, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna open a can of worms. Maybe we can we can cover this on the future uh, George Lucas episode. But I gotta tell you too, there's a lot of different ways they can tackle Star Wars, and uh, obviously in content. But you know what? Like I used to always think, like you know, they need to save like the Jedi stuff for like live action TV or whatever or, or uh, movies uh, or, or whatever. But you know what? I gotta tell you. I think it's a, it it's it's it behooves them to get a some kind of Jedi uh, TV series out ASAP because I think you can easily make a compelling uh, Old Republic or Tales of the Jedi like series very easily through this very very easily and so to me that's the first thing they should be doing right now developing a Jedi show with the with top talent and going from there. No, yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's certain things that you'd want to say for the big screen still. Like, if you want, like, a massive Jedi versus Sith battle in the scale of Lord of the Rings type battles, that you might have to save for, like, a budget of a movie. But for kind of a more intimate Jedi story with some cool lightsaber action sequences, I think totally, yeah, you could do that on a TV show for what we're seeing being done on The Mandalorian. And just the possibilities are really endless now. That's what The Mandalorian has proven for live action Star Wars on TV. It's just that the possibilities really are endless for the most part and just what they can do um, with the the volume and just how that could probably, or shouldn't say probably, it just will just continue to get better and better as things improve and production moves forward in future season and future shows. So I just think this is just the tip of the iceberg for what we're seeing uh, as far as great content in Star Wars in live action for a TV series. It's only going to get better and not only just the Mandalorian feature uh, seasons, but just in the upcoming series that we have planned as well. It's just going to be great to get that. And knowing that it has proven to be successful, because like you said, who knows when we're going to see a Star Wars movie in theaters now. And the fact that we've got these upcoming series coming and some ones we probably don't even know about yet on the horizon. And having lived through the period as far as getting Star Wars only on TV through the Clone Wars when we didn't know about the potential of future movies that we've gotten. And that was definitely stuff that um, sustained us Star Wars fans. At least it did for me. And I know it did uh, you guys as well, as far as that being enough Star Wars to get us through a period of no movies and the potential of never getting any more movies. Cause that's when we thought <laughs> Lucas was done and no one's going to make Star Wars movies other than Lucas. But the fact we got Clone Wars, that was um, like getting new Star Wars movies just on a smaller screen just for how well they were written, how well they were animated, and that was great. And now that's going to continue on almost over 10 years with The Mandalorian doing it in live action and knowing that 
future movies are not on the horizon in the near future. So yeah, it's definitely going to be some, I'm not going to say where it's not going to be missed. Obviously I'll be there first day, first showing for a new star Wars movie without question. Like all star Wars fans would be, but it's not something where it's going to be considered the dark times without any new star Wars movie. Cause there's plenty on the horizon. That's going to keep us star Wars fans happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just this past year, um, I mean, I know everything's been terrible with COVID and everything, but to get uh, the Clone Wars season seven earlier this year and now the kind of stuff that we're already getting with the Mandalorian season two, it sure has been a great year for Star Wars content with no movie this year. So um, looking forward to getting more of this uh, in the future. And, you know, just as we keep getting more series and more stories, uh, we're just going to keep uh having even more fun with it so um but let's get to the end of this episode here uh we talked about you know the chase the the chase scene and everything and mando showing back up in the razor crest and then uh you know he tells grief and Kara that he's got to hit the road before moff gideon catches up with him um we see the x-wing pilots show back up again um we see two x-wings there we only see one of the pilots so i assume the other one is dave filoni and he just didn't feel like having a cameo in this one but uh, <laughs> yeah. the other the other rebel pilot uh carson tiva or i guess new republic pilot um and he's questioning grief karga and you know thinks that the razor crest has been there and grief karga is just kind of you know giving him non-answers and obviously covering for mando because he knows these guys are kind of out for him um and it was kind of funny to see like New Republic pilots almost in the the role of just kind of like beat cops, like you know they're patrolling the outer rim, kind of trying to keep up with go what's going on. But obviously Mando's one step ahead of them, and they're just kind of like almost doing cleanup or, or like questioning everybody after these big events go down that they miss out on. Um, but then he steps out of Grief's office and he talks to uh, Kara. And, um, you know, he's telling her about how he's like, hey, I've heard you're quite a soldier and, uh, you know, heard you from Alderaan and all that. And, you know, she tells him that she that he or that she lost everybody, obviously, when Alderaan got destroyed. And, you know, he, he's there investigating this Imperial base being taken out. And he says, you know, these aren't isolated incidents and there's something going on out here in the Outer Rim. And people back in the core worlds don't believe it. But, like, we got to be on the watch for, like, more Imperial activity and for suspicious stuff going on out here. And, like, we need uh, local people like you to, you know, be sort of our, our eyes and ears and to help out with this. And, um, you know, leaves her with a, like, a New Republic military badge or whatever but the whole time that they're having this conversation the there's like a subtle hint of the resistance theme from the sequel trilogy playing in the background and so it was really cool to again like i was kind of surprised they were going for this this early because um you know we're, we're still a good like 25 years away from the events of the sequel trilogy and i always kind of got the impression that the resistance didn't really form till much closer to those movies um, but again, kind of just like laying the, the, like planting the seeds and laying the groundwork for the idea that, that there is a threat, you know, still from the remnants of the empire that the new Republic and the core and everybody kind of is, is turning a blind eye to it, but that there are people that are trying to come together to find out what this is or to stop it. Um, and kind of giving a potential link to, to Kara into that, um, that this could either be something that like a, a potential just character arc for her story within the series, or even a potential for a spinoff show um, for her to go off and, and join sort of an early resistance movement. Um, 
but I just thought this was uh, just hearing that music and and sort of knowing what he was hinting at was really cool. And between that and the the potentially hinting at Snoke stuff earlier in the episode, I'm like. I, I didn't expect to be getting this many sort of hints and planting seeds of the events of the sequel trilogy this early on, but it really got me excited and already kind of made me like, not like immediately want to go watch the movies again, but thinking like, I can't wait to see where they're going with this and I can't wait to uh, watch the movies again, maybe once this season is done or once we kind of see what they're building towards and see how it kind of changes your perspective now that we have a story that's sort of building towards those events rather than rather than them kind of seeming like just thrown out of left field. So um, it seems I think it's weird. got a lot of potential it, 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 for, for adding to that. It's almost funny, right? The fact that like, oh, when you have – when you know where you're going, you can do certain things to kind of build – towards it and make it like have some impact it's crazy when you plan and you know like what's gonna happen you know it's really it's just really interesting that how that can work i I just you know someone should tell jj kathy and ryan johnson that sometime you know it's really interesting you know but Uh, it's funny how we've talked so much about how we all i think we all kind of agree that the sequel trilogy needs a a show kind of like a show yes. that does something for it like Clone Wars did for the prequel trilogy where it really helps yep. flesh out that world and those characters and those events and I was not expecting and and again we talked about the Mandalorian maybe having that potential but watching this episode I was like oh the Mandalorian's doing that right now and I wasn't expecting that so um, and I think it's going to be I don't think it's going to be like you said a heavy emphasis either I but I think but I think it shows you the potential of either something before, during, or after, or doing all three is important, which I have. What I'll save it for the George Lucas episode because I think there's it kind of goes along with the lines with I think George's vision and what we got. So I'm gonna tease it right now. So put a pin in this for me right now, Kyle. If you write this down, I have and I I think there's there's potential. I don't want to say to save the sequel trilogy, but to give it some validity. And I think doing things like this will, are, is hugely important, um, like hinting towards things. But I have also what they could do with potentially what they could do later on with, with Star Wars and, and the post-sequel trilogy, which I want to talk about on that episode. So I'm going to tease it right here. I teased about it on the Twitter. I was doing this episode. But you know what? No, I'm going to do it on the next episode. I have an idea potentially, and Tim already knows about it. That I, that kind of goes along the lines of what they could use and do with with I think tie in with what they're doing now on TV and the film. So I'm gonna pin it there anyway. But continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, for me personally, I just think the the ideas of where they could go with this and the ways that they could build up and and sort of give more context to those events of the sequel trilogy, I think, is just really exciting. I mean, just from the way that I felt watching this episode and kind of getting excited about the stuff that they're hinting at. And obviously that's from someone who, I mean, especially the stuff in the rise of Skywalker with like Palpatine coming back. Like I, I don't really like those choices that they made. And obviously like the rise of Skywalker is my least favorite star Wars movie. And yet to watch this and go, Oh, now we have some context for this and we could see them building towards that. And so like, extrapolating this down the line 
if we keep getting, you know, they keep pulling on this story thread as the Mandalorian continues, and maybe we find out that Moff Gideon is in league with like the people on Exegol, or he ends up becoming part of the First Order, or whatever. And so then you go and watch the sequel trilogy and watch The Rise of Skywalker, and this feels like the culmination of this long story arc that starts in the Mandalorian rather than it just being, Oh, we didn't have a villain. So we just brought Palpatine back out of the blue. Um, like that gets me excited. Like, cause again, as I've said, I want to like rise of Skywalker. Um, I, I, and I've really tried to kind of appreciate it for what it is. I just have a lot of issues with it. And I wasn't expecting the Mandalorian to be the show that, made me like it again and i'm not saying that it definitely will be i'm just saying that from the couple of teases in this episode i'm feeling like it could possibly have that potential no that's you know it's only a good thing <laughs> I mean, obviously you brought up a good point about the clone wars doing that for the prequels in certain areas but just to get the few things that were left unanswered or you're wondering how this came to be it's always great to get those uh, missing pages filled in and when so as diehard star wars fans could piece it all together because that, that does make it more enjoyable even though not necessarily for me personally it needs it but it's always appreciated when we do get that extra stuff for it so if the mandalorian um does that as well as giving us some brand new great stories and characters uh that we could follow along the way too it's only better for the series yeah definitely um and then, of course, the last thing to finish out the episode. So, uh, you know, Mando takes off. He's on his way to find Ahsoka. But then we find out that one of Grief's mechanics is an Imperial spy and planted a tracking device on the Razor Crest. And he reports this back to, like, an Imperial captain off on some Imperial cruiser in space. And she goes and reports it to Moff Gideon. And uh, she says, you know, yeah, we're, we're tracking the Razor Crest. Our source confirms that he still has the child. And Moff Gideon says, okay, good. We'll be ready for him. And he's standing in front of this. He, he's standing in a room that's like lined with these big, it's hard to tell what they are. They definitely look like some sort of sort of suits of armor, whether it's like a some kind of trooper or droid or whatever. Uh, my theory, and I don't want to spoil this or anything, but I, I've, I've heard some stuff online to potentially back this up. Whoa. But, Whoa! Don't wait. Hold on. D don't say it then. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not confirming. Okay, I'll tell you what. What my thought was, and I'm just saying I've heard I, other people that should think, I jump out? No, no, no. I'm, I I, look, look. I'm not. This is not like a confirmed spoiler. I'm just saying I've heard other people that have the same idea. Okay. Um, phew. I thought. Okay. Phew. All right. The, I was right, thinking sorry. these could be dark troopers. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah which I and I, I guess in in different iterations from the EU, they've either been like kind of cyborgs that they've done like enhancing experiments on, or they're just straight up like basically imperial like super battle droids. Um, but they kind of look like these big hulking like black stormtroopers, and um, you even got to play as them in like the early Battlefront games. And so I think this could be because they certainly looked like. You know, they kind of look Death Trooper-ish, but they're, like, big, bulky. It's hard, again, yeah. it's hard to tell, like, if they're droids or if they're just armor suits or if there's people in there. But obviously, Moff Gideon has some kind of elite force up his sleeve. Um, and it's going to be crazy seeing these things in action, whatever they are. But, yeah, I think I think they could be going that route of... I mean, especially knowing Dave Filoni's involvement and how he likes to bring in stuff that he knows fans like from the EU... Um, so I definitely would not put it past him to have Moff Gideon bring in some iteration of Dark Troopers. 
Yeah, I thought the same thing when I saw him. Well, at first, I thought I was getting excited. Oh, is he like an upgraded Death Trooper armor that <laughs> we're going to see? But when you when we didn't get a clear look at any of them, but once the shot started uh, zooming out and fading into the end credits, did get a better look, and it, I definitely got the Dark Trooper vibe from Dark Forces with those. Because um, they do look like more mechanical droids than armor a little bit. At least I got that impression. And that leads me to... Another question regarding the whole reveal about the blood transfusion from Baby Yoda. And I was speculating at that time how Moff Gideon maybe wanted to use it for himself. But what if he's trying to make a group of super soldier troopers that are force sensitive? What if that is his end goal here? Mm. And those, again, they look mechanical droids to me. But what if they are armor? And that is kind of what those troopers are going to use for what he has planned. And it could go that way or they could just be, you know, he's running out of actual men to continue his fight for the Empire and he needs another source of troops and he's going to go with the more upgraded uh, droids to fight for combat and bringing in the Dark Troopers would be cool, a cool way to do that, I think, and to see them in live action for how they looked at these big bulking droids in the Dark Forces game and some other games. I think they even threw like a version of them that showed up in a Rebels episode, wasn't there? They were like, yeah, they're in Rebels. Well, they're, 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 they're in Rebels. I don't think those were technically, I don't think those were called Dark Troopers, but I think they were very much sort of inspired dark by that. They, they were, yeah, they, they, they were like sentry droids. droids. They were like Thrawn's like sentry droids, the ones that he was like combat sparring they, with. And then, and then they, uh, I think it's like Ezra or whoever's like infiltrating his quarters ends up having to fight him. They're no, no, they're they're, they're not the, just no, they're, they're actually in the episode. I remember they're they're actually more so like protecting like a transport and like yeah, they go to rob something. It was with uh, it's a Zeb Hondo. episode, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Zeb, isn't it a Zeb and Ezra episode? Uh, I don't know. Well, you might confused, see, but... now you might be thinking of the dark troopers or the the death troopers. No. No, 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 it's definitely dark troopers. I because I remember when they're on the ship and they all right, have... one second. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna go look this up too. I don't all think right. we, I don't think we ever got full on dark troopers in Rebels. Oh, we, we, we did, we did, we did, we you're right to an extent because that was the they were there in the uh Thrawn's room first, but then they definitely make an appearance later on. I remember I wrote a review and we and I talked, and people were excited because they brought in dark forces lore, um, again, but. And really quickly, kind of talking about this end of this episode, um, and we talked a lot about it already. The re- this is another reason why I think that um, it's going to go to Ahsoka, um, and it's going to be a transition there because they set that up. The fact that they they're tracking they're tracking him, and he's going to be like, I have to dump the ch- everyone knows I had the child, and if I give it to you, and if something happens to me, then. I don't have to worry about like them, you know, they don't know where the child is anymore because it'll be with Ahsoka. So that's where I think it's going to end up happening. Wait, you, you uh, think he, he's going to end up just leaving the child with Ahsoka? Yeah, because I think they're setting that up. The fact that like they, they'll, they'll be tracking the, you know, the, the razor crest. And I think that they're, they'll know that everyone will know, like the galaxy will know or because through the empire, because they'll say, "Oh, we know that, that, that this child exists, and they're going to be hunting me forever. If I, unless I, you know, if they if they come after me, I don't have it. It's the child will be safer that way, kind of a thing. And that's yeah. why I think we're going a completely opposite direction with it. See, okay, well. and again, I got a very and obviously this just the way this ending was shot and everything was intended to be very 
ominous and you're thinking, oh, shoot, Moff Gideon has new tricks up his sleeve and, you know, obviously he's still very much a threat. Um, right. And when they set up, like when Bo-Katan first said, you know, take uh, the, the child to the forest planet and you'll find Ahsoka there. And I'm thinking... Okay, we know, like, and and again, I was already pretty sure, like, okay, that's going to be episode five because we know Dave Filoni directed that one, and but I really didn't know like what to expect from the episode. I'm like, is it going to be a whole episode of him just trying to find Ahsoka, or is it like obviously I wouldn't expect it to be a whole episode of just exposition or dialogue or whatever, but I was expecting most of that interaction to be her telling him about the history of the Jedi and telling him about the Force and telling him maybe things about the child that he doesn't know. Um, but now that we know, like he's off to go find her and Moff Gideon's tracking him. I think he's going to meet with Ahsoka. I think maybe there will be some, some exposition or some Jedi mythology explored or whatever. And then I think Moff Gideon and his dark troopers are going to come bust up that meeting and some stuff's going to hit the fan. Like, first of all, I think we're going to see Ahsoka in action much sooner than we maybe expected. Um, but yeah, I think this is all going to sort of come to a head in the next episode. I don't think he's just going to, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, let me go meet with Ahsoka. And then maybe later on the Imperials are after him. So it's like, oh, I got to leave her with you because I know that they're going to keep chasing me. It's like, no, I think like, obviously right now he doesn't know that the Imperials are chasing him. So he's going to go uh, show up there, you know, be with Ahsoka doing whatever. And then I think the Empire is going to show up. And like I said, I, I think that's going to be sort of the um the drama and the tension in that episode and i mean who knows we maybe even could see ahsoka and moff gideon going toe to toe as soon as next episode but um i don't know i i think that's going to be the big sort of wrench in the plans and i think we're going to see uh you know a lot of action and a lot of suspense and drama and i don't think i mean i highly doubt that they would like bring ahsoka in for one episode and then have moff gideon kill her off but I no, think no, 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 no. But but I'm off. just I'm just saying I I think there's gonna be a I, I think they're gonna be in some serious danger next episode. I don't think they would give you sort of that ominous ending with the dark troopers, and then next episode Ahsoka's just cutting through them with her lightsabers like butter. Um, By the way, did you find out if are those uh, did we in fact get dark troopers in Rebels? Um, I, I kind of stopped looking. I mean, I, I looked up Star Wars Rebels Dark Trooper and I just got those images of, uh, of Moff Gideon or of, um, Thrawn's like security, security droids. But again, I don't know if those are officially, see a lot of these images like classify, in fact, according to StarWars.com, they just list that as Imperial Sentry Droid. So I think those were heavily inspired by Dark Troopers, but I don't think in canon they're technically classified as Dark Troopers. Hold on. Uh, well, no, they're droids. They're dark trooper droids. And I know, and that's where they're, I think we're, we're, we're probably like, you know, splitting hairs. No, because just, at one I, point, again, all I'm saying, the official StarWars.com databank says Imperial Sentry Droid. So while it could be inspired from dark troopers, we haven't actually seen real dark troopers yet. Exactly. In, okay. I'm, Canada, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still look looking. Speed. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Continue. <laughs> No, but I, I'm kind of more in agreement with you, Kyle, as far as that whole thing being revealed about the tracking device being planted on the Razor Crest. I think that's going to come to fruition in the very next episode when he reaches Ahsoka. Gideon's going to be there, not waiting for him necessarily, but he's going to show up eventually. Yeah. Like maybe he decides to leave the child with Ahsoka and then that's where he shows up and finds out maybe that's not the best thing to do right now. But I still believe, too, where 
there's going to be some information or some reveal where Din is not going to leave the child with Ahsoka. I just don't think, especially this early in the season, if that's what's going to happen, maybe in a finale, but I still, I know you think otherwise, Paul, but I just don't see that happening this early and just through the course of the series. So I'll be surprised if it does, but I just see a wrench is going to be thrown in his plan where it's not just going to be as simple as leaving him with his kind as he's been um, sequestered to do. Um, something's going to happen where he feels it's not going to be right or he can't leave him with Ahsoka. Just Something's going to happen. <laughs> it's just not going to be as simple as him dropping it off. And maybe it is what has to do with Gideon and his dark troopers and more of his initial plan for the child. So I just think next week's episode is going to be a doozy, <laughs> not just yeah. for seeing Ahsoka potentially in live action. Well, I say potentially because I don't know what's going to be. I mean, it's hard to deny it, but we don't know 100% sure until we actually see the episode. But um, it's just going to be a lot of stuff going down here. Ahsoka, information being revealed, Gideon confronting Din Djarin again, possibly Ahsoka, Dark Trooper. It's just going to be crazy. And I know there were some reports earlier this week about how it could have been the longest episode yet of the series. But I think that kind of got debunked. It should be longer than the last two, but... I think I'm hearing it's kind of a little under what the Marshall was in like the 45 minute range, maybe. But so hopefully it is one that will just feel like an episode that has enough room to breathe for all the potential big stuff that's going to go down in it. So, uh, man, I'm just excited for it. I'm so glad I was telling you this off off air that this is the episode that is airing during Thanksgiving, because since you have Friday off, I'll be able to stay up late on Thursday night to watch this one as soon as it goes up, because, man, would it have been torture to wait to see this one on a Friday as you continue through the workday and knowing oh, that absolutely. there's an episode this big just waiting for you to watch and you have to wait until evening <laughs> to see it. So I'm definitely glad that this one uh, will be airing on midnight on Thanksgiving where we don't have to worry about work and just bask in the glory of what hopefully this episode Wait, 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 wait. Make sure, I, make sure I'm getting this right. So it's actually going to be released on Thursday. Thursday night at midnight. That's when they always well, go Yeah, just it. like when they always are. Oh yeah, I I have to work potentially on Friday, so I still have to wait till that evening. So I'll be Bummer. avoiding social media completely. <laughs> so hopefully, no text or anything, everybody. No text me. Yeah, I and I anything. I most likely will just be watching it first thing Friday morning. That's fair. That's fair. But uh, yeah, that is definitely gonna be a landmark episode for the show. I can't wait to see what's going down. Um, but yeah, and. Uh, like I'm, I'm in agreement with you too, Tim. I don't think Mando's going to leave the child with Ahsoka, especially this early on. I think maybe going into this episode, that's going to be his intention, and Moff Gideon interfering is going to th- again throw a wrench in those plans. Maybe they decide that for now it's safer to Mando for Mando to keep the child and protect it. Maybe they get in this big battle and Mando and Ahsoka get separated, or one of them gets captured, or who knows what's going down. Um, and let's not forget this too, unless this gets revealed when he meets Ahsoka, Ahsoka is still doesn't consider herself a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And Mandalorian, his mission is to leave the child with the Jedi. And if Ahsoka doesn't necessarily see herself as a Jedi still, and maybe that changes um, if she meets Luke and knows that he's going to rebuild the Jedi Order and do things differently, maybe she does see herself as a Jedi now. But until we find that out, maybe that's why will be a reason why she doesn't want to accept the child and Din decides that he can't leave it with her. So, and that's another thing too, with Bo-Katan referring to her as a Jedi. And I kind of just took that as where um, 
that's just a general term probably for the galaxy that they know for force users and bo katan um just figured you know din's not going to know the difference or i don't care to explain to him how well, technically she's not a jedi anymore and all that she just knows that he she's the one uh the only force user or person who was a jedi that she knows and uh, she can lead din jaren too so um i don't think that's kind of something that's not mess measuring up or fitting with the continuity with Bo-Katan not remembering that she isn't a Jedi. I think she still does. It's just something that Din doesn't need to know the full story of Ahsoka. She still would be the best person for him to find in his quest. Um, but once he meets Ahsoka, I wonder if that is going to be something where she tries to tell him, you know, I am not a Jedi and I cannot take the child. So, uh, but again, we'll see if that changes. Maybe something has happened since we last saw her in Rebels and she went looking for Ezra and things change there. And like I said, if she's come into contact with Luke and talking with him and knowing how he's going to rebuild the Jedi Order, maybe she's going to do her part in some way, not in uh, a full capacity as maybe Luke will be, but just recognizing herself as a Jedi now in this new era for the galaxy. So that's just another interesting aspect. So I'm going to be curious to see if they really dive into to see where she stands now as far as her being uh, considered a Jedi or not. Well, I also think... I mean, it definitely will be interesting to see what her perspective is in this time period. But I also don't know if that's super important when it comes to the child, because also remember, like, he, it's not like he's a Jedi or ever belonged to the Jedi. The whole reason that Mando is on this quest is because he's like, well, I have this child who can, like, move things with its mind, and I've never seen that before. And the armorer was like, oh, yeah, the songs of Eon's past tell tales of Jedi who could do the same thing. And so it's like at least in this little cult of Mandalorians that seemed to be like, I don't know what they were doing during the clone wars when there were a bunch of Jedi running around, but they don't seem super familiar with like Jedi lore and stuff. But obviously a lot of people have never heard of like the Sith or other kinds of force users. So they just know that the child has this magical power and kind of equate that with Jedi. And so he may find out, you know, that Ahsoka is not really a Jedi, but she tells him like, hey, this child is not necessarily a Jedi either. Like the Jedi Order doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, he can use the force and just kind of can explain what that power is. Um, so it's not like, like, even though that's Mando's quest is to, you know, he thinks he has to get this child back to the Jedi. I think Ahsoka might even kind of reframe that for him and then like maybe after meeting with her maybe that's going to change the trajectory of his quest and maybe he is then going to try to find again maybe maybe she's going to send him on a quest to find like the home planet of the yoda people and take him back there instead or i don't know maybe he does maybe he will eventually end up having to find luke or somebody else i don't know but um yeah all i know is this upcoming episode i don't think is going to be the end of the road for uh for Mando and the child being together. I don't think he's just going to leave her with Ahsoka. Again, I don't think this episode is going to have a particularly happy ending because of Moff Gideon coming along. And like I said, I don't necess necessarily expect him to kill anybody, but I think he's going to break up this meeting and Mando is going to have to go on the run and still have the child with him. Um, something else I've heard that I really hope doesn't happen, but could be kind of messed up um, but something that I, I could see as a potential thing happening. And this is just something that I've heard people theorize. So this isn't like, you know, a leaked spoiler or anything like that, but I've heard people suggesting that what if Moff Gideon kind of gets a hold of Bo-Katan and uses her 
and basically makes her capture the child for him in exchange for the dark saber. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and knowing the lengths that she would go to, to restore Mandalore, maybe turning her into an enemy against, uh, against Din and, um, you know, trying to use her to, to help recapture the child. That could be a very interesting way to go with it and putting those, pitting those two against each other. Um, but yeah, I, I, gosh, I can't wait to see just what's going down in this next episode. I mean, the fact that Ahsoka is showing up in episode five of the season is a big surprise. Cause that's something that I thought would maybe happen till not like episode, not till like episode seven or eight. Um, and, you know, so so it still seems kind of early in the season. And then the fact that we have no idea what's happening for the rest of the season after that is just really exciting. Um, these have been a fantastic first four episodes so far. And I have a feeling that the back half of the season is just going to be even better. And uh, can't wait to keep talking about it with you guys. Can't wait to, uh, you know, podcast about all the rest of these episodes and, um, you know, get to share it with all you listeners and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, any final thoughts from you guys on just these couple episodes before we wrap up and get to the listener comments and all that? Um, just that season two is killing it, man. I mean, yeah, there hasn't been a, a bad episode at all. I wouldn't even say there was a bad episode in the first season. Obviously, there's one's weaker than others, but this one, I, there's not a weak episode. And it's obviously we have there was two of them, the standouts. That's what I'll say. The Marshall and Eris are the standouts, but even. Uh, the passenger and then the siege. I mean, there's still great <laughs> Star Wars uh, episodes and stories and adventures that we're getting on a weekly basis. It's just great. And I think, like you said, Kyle, the best is just yet to come. As much as I'm enjoying season two, see, I'm almost ready to call season two better than season one, and we're only halfway through. Oh, absolutely. If, as we're hoping that the back half of it is going to be even better than what we've seen already from the season, then man, it's just going to be an, an incredible season an all timer. So that potential is already there just by the strength of these first four episodes. And I know I tweeted this out about a week ago after the Eris episode aired, how already season two has given us Boba Fett, giant spiders, crate dragons. We've gotten Bo-Katan back and it's only been three episodes. And now since then, we got this episode with potential connections to the sequel trilogy, the First Order, and the Resistance, and that's just the first half of the season. So the stuff that we're potentially going to be getting and blowing, having our minds blown <laughs> in these last four episodes is just going to be giddy with excitement. I cannot wait for midnight Thursday <laughs> to see this episode and to see where the course of the rest of the season is going to go. The only downside is that we're halfway through the season. <laughs> we only got four episodes left and it's just zipping on by, but boy, has it been an awesome four weeks of getting live action star Wars TV with the Mandalorian season two. It's just been great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up, uh, Tim, I know uh, you put out a question to our listeners on Twitter and then I put out a poll earlier. So you want to go out, uh, go over that stuff for us. Yeah, definitely. So we got some reactions for these latest two episodes of The Mandalorian. So first, start off with the responses on Twitter. First, we got Paul Stewart at Mr. Pistu says, Both were near-perfect Star Wars. Bryce Dallas Howard needs to be given more episodes slash her own series. Chris McGuffin at The Curse of Chris says, I was more impressed with episode four, mainly because it seems to be foreshadowing big implications for the Star Wars universe as a whole. And Derek Beebe at Derek J. Beebe says, Episodes 3 and 4 were both, were both excellent. So amazing to see Bo-Katan in live action and learn more about Gideon's plans for Baby Yoda. 
And then Anthony at Tony Fig says, those Imperial Stormtroopers sure can ride those feeders. And yeah, Tony, you know my pain, <laughs> which I appreciate. And then Jake Blea says, why didn't they use the Wilhelm scream when the trooper fell in the lava pit in episode four? That is crucial must-know info. Why isn't the world talking about this? And it is funny because the Stormtroopers in the last episode really had a new hope vibe where just the, their sound of their voice coming out of the helmets and even their dialogue was just straight out of dialogue you would hear stormtroopers from the original trilogy and a new hope so i could definitely see a wilhelm scream being used in that instance but it wasn't but definitely got a new hope vibe from that one from the troopers and then from facebook uh richard brockwell says he loved both episodes season two is awesome jason burt says the last two episodes have been really good and James Hewing says, um, gives a few bullet points of the things he enjoyed. He says, the child is an a-hole toddler properly now. And now we got, first there was blue milk. Now we got blue macaroons. And there's a Ray in the class. I think he's referring to there was a little girl who had like the same braiding in her hair as Ray did. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he says, Bo-Katan is brilliant and bring on Ahsoka. And then Larry Gulano says, I never watched the Clone Wars or Rebels. I know I need to. Can you guys suggest or select episodes slash arcs that I need to watch to help me understand what's going on and what's going to probably happen based on what we've been seeing? I've watched some recaps, so I fully grasp what we're about, but I'd love to know more. So I'll hang up and listen to the answer. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we can easily recommend some Clone Wars and Rebels arcs that you should watch just in the course of how it connects to the Mandalorian and just Mandalore in general. And I just think every... Well, almost every Clone Wars arc that has to deal with Mandalore is essential, starting with the Mandalore plot. And then you could probably skip the season three episodes with the poison tea and yeah. all that. Well, even even there, it would it kind of depends on how invested you are, because those I wouldn't say they're crucial episodes, but they do have a payoff later on, especially when it comes to like Almec. Um Yeah, so. but you you get the gist of what happens in <laughs> the episode where all in prison and he says what happens yeah, or yeah. Satine recounts what happens. But yeah, the big ones are in season five with Maul and death watch and that arc to retake Mandalore. Those well, are definitely crucial. <laughs> one other one too, in season four, the episode of friend in need um, yes, is true. also kind of a, a big one for filling in the gaps of like where, where death watch is between season two and season five. So that um, is the first episode with Bo-Katan, so you get that to is see the her first episode with Bo-Katan. Yeah, so uh, so episode or season two of Clone Wars: The Mandalore Plot, Voyage of Temptation, and Duchess of Mandalore. Uh, season three: Corruption and the Academy. If you want to watch those, you don't have to. Um, but then season four: A Friend in Need, and then season five: uh, Revival, Eminence, uh, Shades of Reason, and the Lawless. Um, now, those are all the ones that are crucial for, like, the Mandalore story. Obviously, once we get Ahsoka showing up, like, I don't know exactly how much they're going to go into her backstory. But as much as you can watch of uh, of Ahsoka in Clone Wars. Although, also, no, we're, we're forgetting probably the most important one, which is the Siege of Mandalore from Season 7. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, also watch uh, the last four episodes of Season 7. Um, gosh, Old Friends Not Forgotten, The Phantom Apprentice. Uh, and really those two are, are the main two that deal with Mandalore. Um, and that, but then also just for seeing the conclusion of Ahsoka's, uh, arc in that series, uh, watch Shattered and Victory and Death. Um, 
I'm pulling up the the episodes on Disney Plus here on my phone as I'm talking to make sure I get the episode titles right and stuff. But um, that's the gist of it from Clone Wars. And then there's not as much Mandalore stuff in Rebels. Um, but definitely from season three, you want to watch Trials of the Darksaber and then Legacy of Mandalore. And then in season four, um, Heroes of Mandalore Part yeah, One and Heroes of Mandalore Part Two. And then just so with Ahsoka coming up, I would suggest to watching Twilight of the Apprentice. True. To how it sets up for kind of where her story ended in Rebels, but then it picked up in the last season, which can kind of get a little confusing. A lot of lore explored there with the world between worlds. Um, But just the Twilight Apprentice is a big moment for Ahsoka. And I think, um, I don't know if it's going to be referenced at all in The Mandalorian, but just so you got your big Ahsoka moments co- covered, um, I think you'd want to watch that one after watching The Siege of Mandalore. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely put Twilight of the Apprentice on there. Well, and then I would add to that, if you are going to go ahead and watch Twilight of the Apprentice, then you might also want to just go ahead and watch... Um, well, and like you said, Tim, there's kind of a lot of complex mythology, so it'll be confusing if you just skip to these episodes, but if you watch... Uh, the world between worlds and then the the two-part finale of fool's hope and family reunion and farewell um just to see where ahsoka actually ends up after all that because that'll be officially the last time we see her before where she shows up in uh the mandalorian yeah yeah so those are definitely ones to check out and after watching the heiress i immediately watched the season five mandalorian arc with darth maul and then followed with siege of mandalore then the last episode of twilight of the apprentice it was just a great star wars viewing experience i gotta say that kind of goes back to what we're talking about no movies how it was just a great night of star wars content and they didn't watch a single movie and that just shows what in a great place we are with star wars now where we have all this great stuff that it's not even a movie but yet i'm getting the exact same enjoyment out of that so for anyone else who hasn't seen those episodes yet and just want great star wars content definitely check those out because um it just ties in really nicely with the Mandalorian and seeing some familiar characters and just getting to know more of the history of the Mandalorians. And when you see them talking about Mandalore, uh, you just get a better idea of things to what that planet and just them as a people have been through. So definitely recommend anyone who hasn't checked out uh, Clone Wars and are just kind of looking for specific Mandalorian connections there. Those episodes definitely I don't think you'll be disappointed with them. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I forgot there are a couple of Mandalorian episodes from earlier seasons of Rebels, too, like um, Protectors of Conquered Dawn. Um, and I, I haven't gone and looked up all of those. But um, yeah, as long, as, long episode, as you start with way, as long as you pick up from Trials, Trials of the Darksaber in season three, that's uh, the, the Concord Dawn episode is legit. It like, is pretty good. Legit, yeah, it's a great episode. And that introduces uh, Fen Rao, who comes into play later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, those are some good places to start if you want to learn more about, uh, the Mandalorian history and lore and all that kind of stuff and where we're at leading into these episodes of the Mandalorian. Yeah. And then, uh, earlier we put up a poll for not just these last two episodes, but so far the first half of season one in general for what's been your favorite episode so far. And, Coming in in last, not a huge surprise, was The Passenger at 3.2%. I'm just glad it got a little love, though, because it was at zero for a little bit. So props to anyone who thinks that's their, who uh, has that as a favorite episode. 
And then coming in third was the latest one, The Siege, at 14.5%. And then coming in second was The Marshall at 30.6%. And then winning pretty easily was The Heiress at 51.6%. I know early on The Marshall was pretty close to The Heiress, but eventually The Heiress just really pulled ahead as <laughs> coming out on top as the best episode of season two so far. And I don't know if you guys want to give ours, but I still just barely, I think the Marshall still is my yep. favorite one of the season so Same. far. Oh, yeah. Same. For me, it's the heiress hands down. And, and you know, I, I honestly, like there, like, like Tim said, it, the heiress is a phenomenal episode, but the, my, my dad, I saw my dad yesterday and he said, he said to me, you know, he's, they hadn't been watching the, the Mandalorian necessarily, but my, my little brother had started, uh, doing that and so there he kind of watched the, the second season uh first episode and he goes you know that that first that one episode that felt like the most like star wars because got banthas and tuscan raiders i'm like yeah 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 and, or sam whatever and but that honestly but i think it's, i told him i said i think it's more than that too he's like oh yeah totally so i think that's why i think if you just that original trilogy kind of feel just it comes it oozes out of that episode for and not just because it's on Tatooine and, and has Sam people and Banthas. It helps, don't get me wrong, but it definitely has a feel to it. And when you add those elements of Sam people and Banthas and you add the Boba Fett armor, it just gets even more just mm. feels like Star Wars to me. But but like you said, Kyle, it's like it's or Tim, it's it, it can go either way at that point, but like, yeah, it's, it's slightly edged out, but just for that, the Marshall Marshall's and also when it goes widescreen or it goes full, uh, yeah, <laughs> full screen th- that, Oh, that's phenomenal stuff right there. Yeah. No, I, I mean, for, get that for, again for this episode. For me, <laughs> for me personally, I, I would rank it the same way that, uh, you guys all did in the poll there. I would say the heiress number one, then the Marshall, then the siege, then the passenger. Um, but yeah, they they've all been fantastic. I mean, the the passenger being the only one that kind of felt like filler, but was still an enjoyable episode. Um, you know, that one I would say was like a good solid episode, and the other three I would say were great. So, um, yeah, the season's been off to a great start so far for the first half, and I can't wait to see what they've got in store for us in the second half. Um, but thank you to all you guys for voting in the poll, for chiming in with your thoughts and comments. Uh, we love hearing from you and glad you guys are enjoying the show just like we are. Um, can't wait to be back, uh, in a couple weeks and talk about, uh, Ahsoka and whatever else we're going to see in these next couple episodes. But, uh, be sure to, uh, follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC and check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. And you can send us an email with your thoughts as well at starwarstsc at gmail.com. And check out our website at starwarstsc.com for uh, all our episodes and news stories and all that stuff that we're posting over there. Um, You can also check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, But that's going to do it for now. Uh, Everybody uh, enjoy Thanksgiving and the holidays coming up and uh, hope everybody stays safe and healthy. Um, and uh, hope you all enjoy the heck out of these last few episodes of The Mandalorian. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Rebels!